Welcome back to the Fifth and Long Podcast, presented to you by Patrick DeMar and Paul K. Shack, the commission himself. Got a, another two-part sequence for you all this week. Uh, first episode coming out today, we're going to be recapping most of the wildcard games that went down last weekend. Friday afternoon, Fifth and Long Friday, you can look for an episode previewing the divisional round games. Um, we'll have some other kind of side topics included in that as well, just to start things off, but... Really excited for this one, recapping a ton of juicy action from the wildcard round uh, this previous weekend's games. Paul and I give full breakdown for everything that's that's happened since then. Uh, we talk some McCarthy stuff as well with the Cowboys, some Sirianni stuff with the Eagles. Um, dive into it, enjoy. Find us on the socials, on Twitter, at 5th and Long, and on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, at 5th and Long Pod. Uh, enjoy the show. Thank you again for tuning in. And we'll catch y'all on the flip side. Six foot four and full of muscle. I said, do you speak my language? He just smiled and gave me a Vegemite sandwich. And he said, I come from a land of love. All righty. Fifth and long fans. Back again. Patrick DeMar, the Kamesh, Paul Kashak. Back in the office. This time, this is our first uh, playoff recap episode. We did our first playoff preview last week. Now we're doing our first playoff recap. Wildcard playoffs, done and dusted. Over with. Not many good games in this. We, we were just talking about how awful most of these games were. There was only one game decided by two touchdowns or less, and that was Rams-Lions. All the others were kind of duds to a certain extent. Um, Paul, my man, how, how are you doing today? Any, anything exciting in, in, uh, in your life happening right now, or are you just trying to stay warm up in Boston? Well, I am trying to stay warm. Um, it, you know, exciting thing in my life happening right now is recording fifth and long. I mean, what more, <laughs> what could be more exciting than that? There you go. Um, yeah. We've been hit with some snow, uh, past couple of days or a couple, couple of like small snowstorms, maybe four to six inches over the past week 10 days it's been really icy out there it's like 19 out so everything's pretty much frozen over but uh now we're trucking we're, we're powering through up here his life in boston we're supposed to get um two days below freezing this weekend at least at least the in, low saturday and Carolina. sunday yeah the low saturday is 19 and the low sunday is 18 and i'm interested to see what the reaction to that is like locally. We're not going to have any um, rain or snow or anything. I wish I, I would love some snow. I would love, love some snow. I got a big hill out on my street. I would be sledding all day on that thing. Um, anyways, let's talk some football Rams lions. That's, that's the first game for sure. We need to touch on. We kind of touched on it earlier, how it was the only close game. It was certainly the best game entertainment wise. Um, met the eye test, lived up to the billing. I actually tweeted at one point during the game that if the NFL schedule makers were smart, they'd force these two teams to play every single week of the NFL season. They just have their own side league where we have Stafford bowl every single week. Um, the the, the lions first playoff win in 32 years, first home playoff game in 30 years, there were people in the stands crying at the end of the game, they were so happy that they won 
And it really seemed like it was like, like a Detroit pride event almost. Like if you were from Detroit and you weren't at this game or in, in close vicinity, it's almost like it never happened. Um, I remember at one point they flashed on the TV, a foursome of Eminem, Calvin Johnson, Barry Sanders, and big Sean was there. I was like, why is big Sean the fourth guy? Why couldn't you get like, I don't know, like Miguel Cabrera or, um, Yarmir Yager, Sidney Crosby, like it had not Sidney Crosby, excuse me, but you know I what I mean? Say, where'd like, you, where'd you pull Crosby from? He's not from wrong Detroit. city, wrong city. <laughs> uh, Chauncey Billups, even like, why did the fourth guy have to be big Sean? You know? Um, I don't know. That was my, my only gripe really. I saw that and kind of chuckled a little bit, but yeah. otherwise not sure, not sure about big Sean. Um, I could say this, you mentioned Miguel Cabrera. There's no shot. Miguel Cabrera is coming up to Detroit in the middle <laughs> of January. Come on. <laughs> no, no, it's inside though. Come on. Come on. He, didn't, he wouldn't have had to endure, uh, endure sub-zero temperatures like some other teams I, had to this weekend. I don't know. Tell that Tampa Bay reporter who asked Todd Bowles today if, if he was preparing for the weather when he was going and traveling up in Detroit. Man, I saw that. Actually, I saw that. That's um, that's a tough one for that reporter. <laughs> the other stat I saw that I didn't realize was that um, this Lions win, final score 24-23, by the way, ended a nine-game playoff losing streak for the Lions, which was the longest in NFL history at the time. I had no idea. Like, I knew it had been 30-plus years since they won a playoff game, but I didn't realize that they had made the playoffs and lost that many times. So this really has been like the epitome of a playoff drought in the NFL. It's probably been the worst one ever, and it's now over. Pretty pretty sure it was. We'd have to double-check that, but I know it was the longest-standing playoff drought. Yeah, man, I mean, this lived up to the to the billing for me. Uh, you mentioned it. This wasn't the best wild-card weekend. It could have been. Not many of these games were close, but this one, I said that this was going to be the best game when we did our wild-card preview and it absolutely lived up to the hype, just in the pure sense of how the game went, you know, going down to the final minute, 24-23. And then you got all of the stuff swirling around Stafford's return. I mean, it was it was just incredible. You mentioned it exactly. The city of Detroit rallied behind their t- team. It reminded me of how I felt when the Pirates finally made it back to the playoffs after 21 years of, of not making it, you know, in 2013. And we got that win in the wild card game against the Reds. Like, Sports is so powerful, man. It, it, it can bring a city together, and that's exactly what you saw here in uh, in Detroit. Credit to Dan Campbell and his guys. Credit to Jared Goff, who played phenomenal. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of this game, but, I mean, there, this was just a great football game, and then all the stuff swirling around it just exemplified it. You had an awesome atmosphere. You had two great quarterbacks playing pretty much at their best more or less it seemed like um the stakes for both those guys seemed really big too playing against their former teams they were traded for each other i looked into that trade after the fact the picks that detroit got back from the deal with those picks they selected uh jameer gibbs sam laporta and jameson williams to to name a few those are a couple (laughs) big players on that team they also of course got Goff in the deal too. Um, do you think both teams won that trade? I mean, the Rams already got a Super Bowl out of it. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. You can't look at either team and say that they made a bad move. You're right. The Rams have already justified the move. They they won a Super Bowl. Stafford was a focal point of that. And now look at how good Detroit is. And a large part of it's because of the young talent that they got because of those extra picks. I actually think that they're going to make a 30 for 30 about that trade down the road, uh, especially depending on how how things go for Detroit, not only this year, but but going forward with those young guys. I mean, if if a couple of years from now, like Jameer Gibbs is one of the leading rushers in the NFL and Sam Laporta is the next Travis Kelsey or next Gronk, you know, however you want to say, I think they're definitely going to make a 30 for 30 about this deal just uh, with everything surrounding it. Uh, and, you know, the fact that Goff had gone to a Super Bowl prior to being traded and, and there was the rumors that McVay was courting Stafford while Goff was still on the team, everything like that. So um, there's a lot that went down to it, down into it. And, and um I, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's it's wild that it, it came to fruition here. We got to see those two teams play and and uh, really, I guess, kind of in their eyes, prove who won the trade and decided by 60 minutes of football. But you're right. I, I think they, they were both winners. So going into this game, you and I both had the Rams as the winners. Why did we pick them to win this game? They only lost by one. Why did we make that choice? Do, do you still feel good about it or? Do you feel like we sort of made a misstep there? I mean, we got the pick wrong, but it wasn't a stupid pick by any means. They lost by one point. They had the ball. Like, if you would have told me that with, I forget exactly the time on the clock, but I want to say it was like four or five minutes left to go. Stafford had the Rams on the move in Detroit territory down a point. I'm taking the Rams any day of the week. Like, I'm taking them all day long if you would just tell me that and nothing else. Uh, Detroit was able to hold. There's a crucial penalty there to knock him out of field goal range. And, you know, Goff and the Lions got the ball back and the rest is history. But no, I mean, this is, you can't look at this and say that we were dumb for picking the Rams. You know, sometimes, sometimes you're wrong, but this was a true coin flip in the, in the truest sense of the word. Yeah. There was that holding call on the third and four at Detroit's 34. And then afterwards there was the no call on that Puka Nakua play where he's getting hit by like three guys at the same time while he's in midair. There were so many calls this weekend, really across all games that I thought it it seemed like refs were deciding one play versus another, whether they were going to actually call it how it was or let the guys play. You got to be consistent. You got to choose one way to go throughout, not flip flop between from one half to the other or one series to the next. Did you feel similarly at all? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we'll talk about it more in the Steelers-Bills game. I, I felt that there were some – they let him play a little bit more as the game went along in that game, not to go too much on a sidebar because we'll talk about that. But that's just kind of the nature of playoff playoff football. And and I, I think that refs, refs are more afraid of making a call that probably shouldn't have been a penalty late in the game as opposed to, to the opposite. And I think that they're more inclined to let him play – later in the game because they hear all that noise about how people don't want the refs to decide the outcome of the game. And so I think that they interpret that as let them play unless it's super, super obvious. And you're right. I mean, it's not consistent throughout the, throughout the game. I wish it were, I wish like playoffs didn't have a different standard in terms of how games are called, but they do. And that's just the nature of how it goes. So yeah, I mean, there, there's plenty of calls. Maybe you could have called an extra holding or a PI here or there. Probably you could look at that in any one of the playoff games this weekend. But am I surprised about it? No. Is it just how it goes? Yeah. So you mentioned 
you mentioned a moment ago uh, Stafford with the ball in, in the Lions territory with however many minutes left. Well, the Rams were 0 for 3 on touchdown opportunities in, in the Detroit red zone. They had to settle for three goal, three field goals on those trips, and they ultimately lost the game by one. Um, all of those, almost all of those were potential distances where they could have gone for it. And you know, if, if those decisions were had to be, if those decisions were being made by the other team in this game, the Lions, you know, Detroit's going for it on at least one of those to try and, and make a difference well, they did. in the game. They, they yeah. had a fourth and one, the touchdown to Laporta was a fourth down call. Um, exactly. They went for it a handful of times. Yeah. I mean, you talk, you, you mentioned it, I'll give you credit because you mentioned that Dan Campbell's aggressiveness could be just as likely to, to benefit the Lions this upcoming week as it, as it was hurt them. And his aggressiveness ultimately was the difference. I mean, if you just look at that, going for it for that Laporte touchdown, it's a four-point swing right there. If he settles for a field goal, which granted he never does, you just take the three, you don't get the seven. It's tw- Maybe it's 23-20 Rams, and that's the end of this one. Even if, on the Rams side, even if you go for two of those three opportunities, right? And you miss one, but you make the other. All you have to do is get the touchdown and you make up that six point difference and then get an extra point on top of that, which would have tied the game. So I kind of think this loss is on McVay sort of like, no, I don't quite see it that way, but I'll let you finish your point. I I'm just looking at it. I was trying to look at separation points in the game. Their defense obviously wasn't as good. Detroit got a lot more pressure on Stafford than the Rams got on golf Um, The running game for both teams wasn't great. We said going into this game that the Rams were were probably going to stop the Lions or or the Lions were probably going to stop the Rams run game. Rams were going to have to throw the ball over the field. Puka had a huge game. Otherwise, didn't have very many standout performances. I look at playoff games come down to small decisions making big impacts. And I'm looking at those fourth down opportunities and thinking McVay should have gone for one of them just to, to try to make something else happen, especially when it ends your, your offense, your last offensive possession of the game ended with a punt with less than five minutes to go. Right. If that's the case, then that means you're going to be doing nothing but looking back at previous opportunities you had earlier in the game at things you could have done differently. And that's, that's what I had to do when I really looked at the win um, or the loss for the Rams, I should say. It's not like solely on McVay's shoulders, right? He's not the only um, guy held responsible. And and also he coached the hell out of this team all year long. They're not in this game without what he was able to do developing this team. They had to like reteach these guys how to do drills in May and June, right? And in summer camp. So the fact that this team looks so different then the team that made a Super Bowl appearance a few years ago speaks to his coaching prowess. But I also think like he burned those two timeouts early in the second half. So we only had one left down the stretch in the fourth quarter. You couple that with the decisions to not go for it on fourth. And I, I just thought it was a bad game from him. I, I think Dan Campbell outcoached him start to finish on all three phases. So a couple of things to unfold there. You're absolutely right about the timeouts. Um, second half timeouts, you need you need to find a way to save them. You need to prevent any situation from happening in which in which you're going to blow them. I can't off the top of my head remember why they had to 
blow the timeouts if it was just were, a uh, game or they just, didn't have the right personnel in there. No, they were just plays coming down to the last couple seconds and they didn't want to take the delay. Of didn't game, want to take so, a delay game. So they so, called a quick timeout. So I'm, I'm always a proponent, especially in the second half of, unless like you're driving and you know, you've got like a third and one or something like that. I'm always a proponent of take the delay game because your timeout is, is more valuable than five yards. So in that sense, I agree with you, but none of the, none of the plays down in the red zone where they ended up settling for the field goals, like none of the situations I thought warranted going for it. It was a fourth and six and two fourth and eights. You know, like it wasn't, it wouldn't have been a high percentage play to go for it there. I think he made the right call to kick every time. And I, so I have no problem with him, him deciding to kick on those. You can't, I, you can't realistically go for it there. I think at fourth and eight, fourth and six. No, but and some teams still would. I, not many. I, analytics do not say to go for it there. If you're outside of five yards, that's, I, I completely disagree. Sorry that, that those are the right calls to kick it. And you can say that Campbell outcoached him because I, because I think that that's true. I, I was going to agree with you on that from when you look at a large sense, because I love camp Campbell was aggressive. He he was the type of coach that he's been all year. And while I don't agree with all of his decisions, uh, they panned out in this one. And then I love the fact that he put the ball in Jerry Goff's hands at the end of the game. He said, we're not going to just settle and run for this and, and hope that, you know, the Rams, you know, try to run the, clock out he said golf go win it for us and golf did he, he made a couple passes on uh, at the end to end up sealing the deal and being able to run the clock out from there so in that sense i did think dan campbell coached a little bit of a better game than mcveigh but going back to settling for field goals i mean fourth and six fourth and eight you got to kick it there especially at the point in the game that they were um for some of the earlier kicks because i think two of the field goals were in the first half i think it was 21 no just one 21 17 at the half. And then there was an early field goal, like midway through the third quarter. So you, you got to take points at that, that spot. I understand your reasoning. And and I think 90% of the time I would agree with you. And maybe this is just a case of like hindsight is 2020. Oh, you should have gone for it. You know what I mean? But I still feel like, man, like, if you have this much belief in your offense, you gotta you gotta risk it for the biscuit one, at least once, right? If if you're going zero for three in the red zone, you gotta try to make something happen. And a it was more so their failure to execute in those situations that hurt them. If you just convert on one of those, you win the game by a touchdown, probably. Um, maybe not. You know, maybe Jared Goff leads game winning drive or game tying drive at the end. Who knows? Did you see? the clip of uh, Brad Holmes, the Lions GM in the elevator after the game celebrating. No, I did not enlighten me. There's a, there's a clip somewhere floating around on Twitter or Instagram or whatever of um, Holmes. He's leaving the press box. Right. And he's in the elevator and it's just raw emotion. He's like, let's go. Like, come on. He's not an elevator by himself. There's like a dozen people around him and he's like on the verge of tears. Like, pounding his chest, stomping his feet. This meant everything to these guys. And Dan Campbell actually gave Holmes one of the game balls after the game. He gave one to Goff and he gave one to Holmes. And Holmes spoke to the team after that. And he said, when they were picking guys, they went and they picked guys that had gone through darkness. They wanted guys that were gritty, that were tough, that wanted to, to earn, earn this, essentially. And they did every single bit of that throughout the game like not just in the game but earning the opportunity to have that game in Detroit um 
Campbell at the beginning of the season brought in his coaching staff and his players and, and laid out a list of things that he wanted them to accomplish to make this year special. And so far they've done all of those, all of those. So we've, it, I feel like week to week, we've gone back and forth on him. Like he has his, his bad games where he does things that make you scratch your head, but then you have to look at the grand scheme of this team and, and how much just the conversation about the Detroit lions has changed in the last three, four years. You look where they are now. I mean, who else are you looking at now to, to maybe upset the Niners in the NFC? Uh, do you think the Packers can, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this Lions team going forward and, and we'll talk more about the Packers when we, when we get to that game. Um, what's, what other final notes do you have on this one? Yeah. So, um, we'll talk about uh, potential to upset the the Niners in a little bit, like you said, but, uh, I, I, you mentioned him briefly. I, I have to talk about Puka Nakua in this game. I, I, I can't, oh I, know my God. It was a lose, I know it was a losing effort, but dude, like this was one of the first guys that we talked about on one of our first ever episodes of this podcast. Like as a surprise of, of the league, he was taking the league by storm back early in the year, fifth round pick at a BYU. Nobody knew who he was, had a terrible combine. I'm, I said Stafford was going to be the MVP of the, of the wild card weekend. And I predicted 300 yards and three touchdowns. So I came pretty close. He had 367 and two. So I'll give myself a pat on the back, but Puka Nakua was the MVP of this game. Like you don't ever give the MVP to a guy on a losing team, but if you throw out who won and lost this game, Puka Nakua was the most valuable player out in the field. Nine for 181 and a touchdown. There was no other legitimate option for Stafford to go to with the ball. Where, where the hell was Cooper cup in this game? I, I yeah. thought that there might've been like a, a drop or two here or there. Like I didn't think he was getting separation. He just seemed non-existent and we all knew Puka was good coming into this game, but national stage, everybody's watching Sunday night football. Like he's the guy he, there's no doubt. This is the, this is the number one receiver. Now Cooper cups time. It was great. I love Cooper cup. I really do. But his time is past now. You know, he, he will be in a supporting role to Puka Nakua and it was just awesome. His toughness was on display. Like there was, a, I remember this one catch. I can't remember exactly when it was in the game, but he goes and makes the catch like in triple coverage takes, takes a shot. Like he was shaking tacklers. I remember they threw screens to him on like third and eights and nines. And they just said, go make a play. He's bouncing off of guys. Collinsworth is talking about it. It was a losing effort. Yes. But my God, it was one of, the the best performances I've seen by an individual player in the NFL this season. I, I have to mention him. Nine receptions, 181 yards and a touchdown. He set a record for rookie receiving yards in an NFL playoff game. So this was like borderline biblical level stuff from this guy, what he was able to do on this field. He made NFL history and he did that all year. He set a rookie receiving record in the regular season did it in the playoffs to boot. This has got to be one of the best rookie seasons we've ever seen from anybody, I think. And and the young crop in the league right now is so exciting. It's not just him. It's guys like Jordan Love. It's guys like CJ Stroud. Like, I don't know if we've ever had a, a better young class of players in the league. Not at least in, in my lifetime that I can think of, you know? Uh, I mean, you know, they're, they're good stretches back. You know, it was, it was a pretty good young quarterback class. Uh, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, roughly um, maybe not all rookies at one time, but you know, within a three, four year span, you, 
you had a lot of youth. I mean, I guess keep in mind, Jordan Love, you mentioned, is not a rookie. He's been in the league a couple of years. Well, it's his, his first, first year as a starting quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I don't know if it's the best that we've ever seen, but like, I, I agree with you there. There's, there's been a change. There's like a changing of the guard within the past four or five years with the quarterback position. And then we're starting to see it at some of the skill positions as well. I think that we're seeing a, a big crop of new running backs come in and, and now like we've, we've had a wave of receivers as well. Uh, you know, dating back a couple of years with Justin Jefferson's and Jamar Chase is now taking over. And now you got guys like Puka Nakua that are stepping up as well. So I, I mean, the, the NFL is such a good product, man. And, and, you know, they, we, we pump out talent in the NFL so frequently. So it, it is exciting to see where the league is going. Were you for or against the lions fans booing Stafford? Okay. So I'm glad you brought this up because I, I definitely did want to talk about this. Um, I thought it was a bold move by Lions fans, but I loved it. And and here's why. Look, Stafford was a was a great quarterback for them. Put up tons of numbers. I know that they loved him there. This booing, I'll tell you what I think it's symbolic of in a second. I don't think it was them saying that they didn't like Stafford. I know it wasn't. wasn't it was like that. a sign of respect. It, it it was. It was if anything. Look, Stafford was great there in Detroit, but at the end of the day, he didn't win anything, didn't win any playoff games. They didn't do anything to me. The booing of him was symbolic that that city, that fan base was behind this 2023, 2024 Detroit Lions team. And all Stafford was looked at was the enemy coming into their house. There was no remembrance of him wearing a Lions jersey and putting up tons of numbers to Calvin Johnson. He was viewed solely as the enemy and I thought it was like a rallying cry for the Lions fans to say, this is our team right here, right now. Our team has Jared Goff, Amon Ross St. Brown, Jameer Gibbs, Sam Laporte, all those guys. What you did back in the day was great, Stafford, but you're not a Lion anymore. I thought it was more symbolic of them getting behind the Lions than it was like getting on Stafford, if that makes any sense. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree with you. And even after the game, uh, Stafford was asked about that, and he said, I don't remember the exact quote, but he was like, oh, I, you know, it's a playoff game. Like I expected nothing less. I expected them to support their team. And I have no questions or doubts about how they feel about me here. Like, like he knew what the deal was. Right. Yeah. And I think just like the, how much these two teams are intertwined because of these two quarterbacks was crazy. This was so poetic that these two teams ended up meeting in this game. Like you could not write a better script for this. Somebody's going to write a movie about this lion's team someday or, or make a movie, write a book, whatever. Like I guarantee you it's already in the works. Yeah. I mean, I, I like I said, I think that they'll make a 30 for 30 about the, the golf and Stafford trade. And, and while we're on the topic of Stafford, I mean, he's one tough SOB as well. Yeah. He, cu he cut his hand early in that game, had to tape it up. He was already dealing with a thumb injury. I mean, that is, I, it had to be tough for him to just grip and throw the football, let alone go 25 for 36 for 367 and two touchdowns on the road. I mean, because that crowd was was as loud as ever. I know it's indoors, but I'm, I mean, you can't take away from him. I mean, it showed a lot of grit and toughness out there. I felt bad that this was one of those games like you feel bad that somebody had to lose, but somebody did have to lose in this one. Um, and it was the Rams in the end. But man, 
He was so good. And so was Goff. Goff was 22 at 27. We talked about it at the top of this uh, segment. Just elite quarterback play all in all. This is a great one to sit back and watch and enjoy with a beer. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, another one I, I actually enjoyed watching, and I think a lot of America did as well, was the Packers just sending the Cowboys to the execution block. This was a visceral takedown i think the first 20 minutes of this game was the worst i've ever seen a playoff favorite play in a game like ever if you look at um the play-by-play from from the packers first drives first or from the cowboys first couple of drives first the packers have that like eight minute opener to the quarter where they go down the field 12 plays seven minutes 52 seconds for the touchdown drive just bleeding the clock doing whatever they want play action passes dallas has no idea what's going on and then dallas punts then they have that interception on three plays in their own half later in the game which leads to the second green bay touchdown green bay scores another touchdown later to make it 20 nothing they miss the field goal and then Dak throws the pick six on the ensuing drive. They're down 27, nothing. Um, they eventually made it 27 to seven at the half. Jerry Jones after the game said the result is beyond my comprehension. And my favorite stat from this, this was the first ever time we've seen a two seed lose to a seven seed since the, the seventh seed has been introduced in the NFL playoffs. So even this was kind of in its own way of, historic game for the nfl playoffs yeah you could you could say that um the 17 playoff hasn't been a thing for too long but it's been a couple years now so it that is certainly worth noting um yeah i dude the the first half was so bad for dallas that it prompted jimmy johnson to do like this pep talk at the at the halftime i don't know if you saw him on fox like <laughs> that was so squarely. weird it was odd yeah it was, it was so it was, weird yeah it was like i didn't even know what was going on in that one but uh he was into it too he was like really upset yeah he was trying i mean that that's his team too like he won two super bowls with them at least two maybe three i could be wrong i think just two but um he's like having that, like flashbacks to being in the cowboys locker room three years yeah, ago like, Dude, I, I mean, that that had to be tough for him to watch. I mean, anybody associated with Dallas, it's like, because that's just such a, like, their pride was just ripped out in the first half. I mean, he talked about it. The opening drive set the tone. And uh, one of our buddies, John McAuliffe, in the group chat right after Green Bay scored the opening touchdown, he goes, that's a wrap, boys. Or he said something to that effect. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know what it is with Dallas that they just, they haven't been able to get over the hump in the playoffs. But I don't want this recap to be, just a bashing of Dallas. They deserve it, but Green Bay deserves a lot of love. Yeah. And and once again, pun intended there. So I, Jordan Love was phenomenal. I said Aaron Jones had to be involved in this game as well. He goes over 100 yards. Their, their ground game was excellent. It was part of the reason why they were able to control clocks so well uh, throughout. And, and Love hit all of his passes, and the scheme was great too. Dude, receivers were flying open. You know, late in the game, the game was pretty much out of hand at the half, but you know, Luke Musgrave catches that touchdown to really seal the deal for Green Bay in the second half. And dude, there is nobody within the shot. You know, the touchdown I'm talking about where, yeah. where Musgrave love just kind of kind of lobs it up there. Musgrave's sitting there like it's a pop fly for three or four seconds, and there's nobody in the shot. Like there were just terrible defensive breakdowns. 
on Dallas, he was either he was either that or Lafleur just had an awesome game plan and scheme drawn up. Maybe a combination of both. But Green Bay deserves their flowers on this as well. Um, I'd like to get your take on not just how bad Dallas looked, but how good you thought the Packers looked. Well, yeah, I mean, so the way I had to look at it was even with Dak's two picks, if you take those away and you take the points that came with it away, even then Green Bay still put up 34 points. And you would assume that when they eventually get the ball after whatever happens with those Dallas possessions besides interceptions, right? Like I said, taking those interceptions away. I was going to assume that Green Bay would probably tack on another touchdown anyway. So I'm assuming 40 points from this Packers team. That's how good they were. Jordan Love was like, he was a surgeon in this game. And LaFleur afterwards, the first thing he said when he had a microphone put in front of him was, wow, Jordan Love. And I think that was the reaction that everybody had that hadn't watched this guy play play before. Excuse me. He was so much better than Dak in Dak's own house. Like he made Dak look like the guy playing his first playoff game ever on the road against a, against a playoff favorite, which wasn't the case. Um, I was so impressed with him and, and the whole team. You mentioned Aaron Jones as well. He's been huge for them down the stretch. He was not really healthy all season. There were so many games early in the year where they were relying more on uh, AJ Dillon, former Boston College Eagle running back, uh, former Heisman contender, actually at Boston College as well, former Heisman finalist. Um, Jones, 110 rushing yards at least in the last four 118. Games. 118. Oh, no, 108, he, 118 in this game. We're talking about his average over the last four. Yeah, he's no, yeah. not his average. He's had at least 110 gotcha, in each of his gotcha. last four games. His average is probably higher. Um, he's been phenomenal down the stretch. And when he's healthy, He's one of the best running backs in the league. I wouldn't say he's the best, but he's in that conversation of like top seven, top eight backs in the league. I Also, I heard you say earlier today that the running back position is dead and running backs don't matter in this in the NFL. Aaron Jones says otherwise the way he's been playing recently, because what he's able to do on the ground is part of the reason why Green Bay's passing attack has opened up the way that it has letting the play action passing game um, do its thing with love at the helm. You have to have the, the running threat on the other side of that for it to work as well. Um, super impressed with the Packers here. Super disappointed with the Cowboys. I, I was trying to think of a game in recent memory that made me feel like, like more disappointed with an individual team. The first game I thought of actually was in a, 2019 when the Titans as a six seed went into Baltimore and beat the Ravens. Um, that was the year that they ended up playing for, for an AFC championship against Mahomes. They beat my new England Patriots the week before that. So I guess it wasn't quite as jarring because they had that opening round win before. What was your thoughts just watching the Cowboys implode the way they did? Oh, it, it, it was, it was less. Well, first thought is that, like same old Dallas. Okay. I mean, you have to have that thought. We, we mentioned that already, but then after that, it, it was really less about thinking about how the Cowboys was, were imploding and more thinking about Jordan love is a star. He He's a star already in the NFL. I have said a couple of times already that he is going to be my pick for MVP next year. I mentioned it last week that 
These were the top two quarterbacks in terms of passing touchdowns this year. Dak had 36 coming into this game. Love had 32. You just mentioned how he outdueled everybody. I mean, he was able to stand in the pocket, make throws. He does a great job of evading the rush. He knows exactly when to break the pocket. He's able to throw off balance off of his back foot. He's able to drop his arm angle when he needs to, to make a difficult throw. Like there was nothing, there was never a time where I was like, oh, he can't make that throw or he missed that throw. I, I can't, can't remember. I mean, he's 16 of 21. He didn't exactly have to, you know, throw the ball 40 times. I'll say that makes it a little bit easier, but like that was, that was my biggest takeaway, dude. I think that this guy is going to be so freaking good. And I keep harping on how young this uh, Packers team is with all of their young receivers. Like I, I think they're going to be so dangerous um, in the years to come. My biggest takeaway from the game itself in terms of like where we move forward in the playoff picture in the NFC Jordan loves the best quarterback left in the NFC. I know it's going to, it's hypocrisy because I've praised Brock Purdy so much throughout the course of this podcast. And I, and I own that I do. And I still think Purdy's a very good quarterback, but Jordan love the way he's played over the back half of the season. And now this first playoff game, he's the best quarterback remaining left in the NFC. Not saying the Packers, are the best team loves the best quarterback. I'm going to zag on you there and say that Jared Goff is the only quarterback in the NFC remaining that's been to a Super Bowl. So I'm giving him the edge just based on that. And I would say head to head, like their capabilities are pretty similar. I don't know if I'm ready to give love the edge yet, but I, I think what you're saying has merit. Like, I don't think they're separated by a lot either. I mean, I respect your call there. I, I think that Love is putting up better numbers with less to work with. I mean, he doesn't have a Sam Laporta. He doesn't have an Amon Ross St. Brown. So in that sense, I, I, I do think I think Love's better than Goff. I also, I mean, you mentioned that Goff has been to a Super Bowl before. He, he's got more experience. Yeah, but this is Love's first ever trip to the playoffs, you know? So it's like, you gotta gotta factor that in. I was also, speaking of the whole playoff experience thing, I was taken aback. Uh, Greg Olson threw out a, a stat. I can't remember the exact percentage, but he said that the team with more playoff experience actually has a losing record in the playoffs. He threw that stat out in the middle of that Cowboys Packers game when talking about like Dak's playoff experience versus Jordan loves. I can't confirm the, the number, but I do know for a fact that Greg Olson threw that out there on the broadcast. I thought it was just interesting that like the team with less playoff experience, I guess, top to bottom has had more success in the playoffs, at least as of recent. Huh. Interesting. I mean, if you look at, if you look at how the games went this weekend, that, that lines up, you know, if you look love compared to Prescott, like CJ Stroud compared to Joe Flacco, who we'll talk about in a little bit, it lines up at least for this week. Um, um Some other fallout from this game was, Everybody going after Mike McCarthy's head on Twitter, who it has since been announced. This was actually announced earlier tonight. We're recording on Wednesday evening. Um, McCarthy will be retained by the Cowboys. Jerry Jones put out a statement, um, essentially just proclaiming his confidence in the head coach, like meriting his leadership, saying how important that is in the building. He referenced that McCarthy has the highest winning percentage of all time for Dallas Cowboys head coach. And I personally, I don't know if I, I don't know if I would have fired him. I think you really need to look yourself in the eyes in some areas in your building. I, for one, I would get rid of Dan Quinn, which by the way, side note of this game, 
Uh, Matt LaFleur was the quarterback's coach with the Falcons when Dan Quinn was a head coach there. I just thought that was interesting. Um, so he got a little revenge against his, his former head coach there. I thought that was kind of cool, actually, when I looked into it. I, w- I would start by getting rid of him and finding somebody else to bring on. Um, go get Mike Brabel as your DC immediately. Go get him. All right. Get him a chance to get away from head coaching for a little bit. Lure him into the Cowboys. Don't let Bill take him wherever he ends up. That's what I would start with. Uh, I don't think they have, they need to fix their running game next year. When they get Trayvon Diggs back, I think their secondary is, is going to be slightly revamped. Um, I will say Stefan Gilmore had a few plays in this game where he was left in the dust by double moves and certain routes. I forget who it was. There was this one catch where uh, Green Bay was running this pattern where they had a guy fake a cross over the middle. And then like, as soon as he got it to midfield, he would stop on a dime and just go the other way, like on a, on a flag route almost. And um, mm-hmm. I saw a clip on Twitter of Gilmore in coverage against that route. And when the guy broke the other way, Gilmore kept running for another like five yards and then looked and like saw him and, and like couldn't even run after him. He just saw him yeah. 20 yards downfield. And I was like, oh, not Stefan. No. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I can't remember the exact play you're talking about. And Gilmore's had a great career. But yeah, I mean, he he might just be a little bit over the hump in that, in that regard. It, it He's been a great quarter this year, too. I think he was... PFF had him graded out as still like one of the top 10 or 15 guys this year, which is kind of wild if you think about it. But what gotcha. what was your reaction to to McCarthy being announced that he is coming back? Agree or disagree? Would you have gone a different route? If so, what? No, I mean, I, I, I think so. He, his contract is through the end of next year. So I think it makes logical sense to bring him back for one more year ride it out and see what happens. I mean, and and I think everybody knows he'll, he'll be coaching for his job next year. Let's not ignore the Cowboys have won 12 games each of the past three years. They've won 36 regular season games of the past three years that even in now in a 17 game season, that is incredibly impressive. Um, I also saw a stat that they, they're the only team to have that many wins in a three year span and not reach a conference championship game during that three year span. <laughs> so yeah, there have been problems in the playoffs. I mean, McCarthy did get a playoff win last year against the Buccaneers, but uh, he'll be coaching for his job next year. But I think, like, let's not forget. I think he he's a very good offensive-minded, and I think he's he's helped Dak Prescott out. Dak had a down yeah, year. For sure. Dak, Dak had a down year last year. Like, I, you know, we, we kind of twist the narrative. I know Cowboys fans will remember how things went for Dak in 2022, 2023. But, well, even Dak said, like, if – if the conversation is McCarthy leaving, you have to throw me onto that list as well. Like I am also part of the problem. If that's the case, you may as well put me up for discussion for whether or not I should still be here, which honestly, when he said that, that was like more my initial reaction. Just looking at his playoff record was like, maybe he has more of a point than he realizes. Yeah, maybe so. I I didn't hear that that quote, but like you can't argue with, and I'm pretty sure it was this year that McCarthy took over play calling duties as well. So, I mean, he has helped Dak. There was a significant improvement from last year. This year, nobody was talking about Dak Prescott as MVP coming into this year. That that no. was what I was going to get at. No. Like you can talk about revisionist hit history and hindsight 2020 and and all of that, and but nobody was mentioning Dak Prescott as MVP uh, coming into this year. 
So the offense really clicked in that regard, despite, like you said, like a subpar running game. So give them this next year. But at the end of the day, like I rip on Mike Tomlin for this. If you can't win playoff games, then yeah, you need to go. So if McCarthy has another solid team next year and they can't win a playoff game and they can't get past the level that they haven't been able to get past the past couple of years, then yeah, you don't renew his contract after 2024. It's that simple. Some other small tidbits on this game before uh, I come away with uh, something I really, really want to touch on on this. Um, the Packers, I think, did like they executed their game plan perfectly on the offensive end. Um, the Cowboys led the NFL in pressure percentage this season, according to True Media, which they do a lot of in-depth stats, analytics, that sort of thing. Um, however, the Cowboys only got pressure on four of Love's 26 dropbacks in this game on 10 blitz plays. And when Love was pressured, he was four of four for 114 yards and a touchdown. So when he was, when they did get guys through, he torched their secondary. Micah Parsons was also held to his lowest pressure rate of his career. Um, one of 19 rushes. So we only got through on one out of his 19 rush attempts. I, I mean, Dan Quinn laid a dud in this game for one thing, but also LaFleur just schemed the hell out of this win. And the O-line stood up. They protected their guy, which is such a crucial part of the game that we don't mention enough, like how much a clean pocket matters, how much holding vaunted defenses like this to, to zero sacks matters. It matters a lot, especially when you have a rookie quarterback in the, ro- on, in the road. So that was huge to me. And then also Romeo Dubs had a career high of receiving yards in this game with 151 yards, six catches and a touchdown. My favorite aspect of this Packers team is that even though they don't have like an obvious star receiver, it almost seems like it doesn't matter because week to week, it could be freaking anybody. Like you just pick one of the guys, give them a buck 50 and seven to eight grabs. It, it could be Christian Watson one week. It could be dubs another it could be, uh, it could be uh, Dontavian Wicks. Yeah, Dontavian Wicks. Like, you know exactly what I mean. Um, absolutely crazy, and I think that just is a testament to the offensive mind of Matt Lafleur, who is the real catalyst between behind Aaron Rodgers' success. At me if you want. I don't care. All right. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's, that's a I little bit care. too much there. I'm, I'm, I don't I'm not, I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan, but that's going a little bit too far considering Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl without LaFleur. So that was the other thing I was going to look at though, actually was, was the Aaron Rodgers trade. Um, first of all, that trade got put into motion when the Packers traded up in the 2020 draft with Miami who selected Tua in the same draft to pick Jordan Love in the first round. Side question from this. Did Miami get that draft wrong? They picked the wrong quarterback. Um, I don't want to steal too much of the thunder for when we talk about the Dolphins and their, their future going forward. Um, did I, there were, are there, are, I mean, I think they should have taken Herbert over to a, uh, so yeah, I think that, I think that they got it wrong and, and Jordan Love looks like a better quarterback um, granted a shorter sampler size than, than Tua has, but but yeah, if you look in a vacuum there, who would I rather have right now, Jordan Love or, or Tua? I would rather have Love. Um, but 
I think that 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 draft is more like I, I think you just have to admire the way Green Bay goes about it in, in terms of their quarterbacks. Like they knew that Rodgers still had a few good years left, but they weren't afraid to draft a guy that they really liked anyway. And it ruffled Rodgers feathers at the time, if you remember. But I mean, they they're set now at quarterback where there are plenty of franchises that that have a really good quarterback. Like take a look at my Steelers. Like we didn't have a plan in place after Roethlisberger retired. Green Bay has been multiple steps ahead of the rest of the league going from far up to Rodgers and now Rodgers to love. I think it's a huge testament to the Packers front office having faith in this guy. Um, it wasn't just the fact that they traded up to select love. It's like trading Rodgers after the fact, right? We've seen so many times GMs make moves like this, like that, and they're out of a job two, three years later. Whereas now this guy is on the verge of winning back-to-back playoffs games, something Aaron Rodgers hasn't done in, in years. And I mean, with, with, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you're watching this game on your couch in New York, you, you only played four snaps of the season. Um, I think he's going to have to lead the, the jets to at least one playoff win or else that move is like, Totally won in Green Bay's favor completely. He's got to win at least one playoff game with the Jets or else it's a bust. Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually think he needs to do more, but. Um, no, 100%. I agree with you. It needs to be more than that. But it's yeah. it's like you have to win at least one playoff game now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Minimum. Um, I'll all say, because we do have to move on to, to other games. I'll say if you're, you're bringing up the topic of Aaron Rodgers. Um, this was the same team that he went eight and nine with last year. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah. consider that. This is the team he like complained about. He didn't have enough weapons with. Agreed. Agreed. Jordan loves Jordan loves making weapons. He's making weapons out of dubs, Wicks, you know, Musgrave, Tucker Craft. I mean, all those guys. He's such a drama queen. Whatever. Um, Tampa Bay Philly. This was the other stunner that we both picked philly to win this game last week which is kind of which is kind of funny considering the week before we were saying their season was over and then yet we still picked them to win a playoff game why did we do that this was the game that we swung and missed on the the worst well I, i i would say this i i i thought that their season was over in terms of i didn't think that they were a legitimate super bowl contender anymore like i had the previous few weeks leading up to it. And if you'll remember when this losing skid started for the Eagles, I still said, I think that they'll find a way to get it together. I think it'll happen. It never did. And then I I made the statement where I was like, all right, I'm out on him potentially win the Super Bowl. But that didn't mean that I thought that the Bucs were a legitimate Super Bowl contender either, nor do I even really still now. And Tampa Bay did not play their best football the past couple weeks or the last couple weeks of the regular season either leading up to this playoff game. So, that was why I picked Philadelphia because I thought it was like still kind of the lesser of two evils. It was clearly wrong in this one. Baker showed out credit to him. He resumed that form that we had seen from like the middle, uh, the latter third of the season. So, so good on him. I was really impressed just with the differences in mentalities of these teams. Like you could see the Eagles were so checked out just from the start for whatever reason, it really seemed like, there was 
Devontae Swift trying to make plays on on the offensive side. Devontae Swift? You talking about De- DeAndre Swift or Devon Devontae? Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, gosh. Um, he was the guy I was like really looking at in terms of their catalyst on offense. He was the guy it sort of seemed like they were trying to rally rounds. I mean, eight catches, 148 yards, but everybody else on the offensive end just looked like they were pressing. And Julio Jones made a couple okay catches, but then he ended up leaving the game after suffering a concussion. Hertz looked just like sad the whole game. And there was a clip on the sideline. I saw Dallas Goddard exchanging words with him. Like, yeah, I saw this too, saying something to him. And then Mariota pulled him off to the side. Um, I kind of loved watching this man. Like, I think it all goes back to, to Sirianni firing his DC midseason and and deciding to to go with <laughs> Matt Patricia, who the Eagles won a Super Bowl against because Patricia gave up like 50 something points and 500 plus yards of offense. We only lost that Super Bowl because we couldn't get a single stop on defense. And he was our DC. Go figure they end up sucking their season away at the tail end because their defense can't tackle anybody. There were so many missed tackles in this game. It was ridiculous. Like every single play, there's two, three missed tackles more. It was, it was absurd. They're so bad on defense. They look like a, like a FCS team sometimes. Yeah. Ray Lewis had to like stop his interview. I don't know if I saw a brief clip of it. He was like interviewing with the Manning cast uh, for this game. He had to like stop his interview because he was so disgusted with all the missed tackles that, that the Eagles defense had out there. I forget. um, I forget who had the big play in particular where, where he like broke character on the interview, but you're right. I mean, like this is a team loss. There are terrible play on both sides of the ball. I'll talk about defense first. since since that's kind of what you brought up, I mean, Look, man, we talked about how bad this Eagles pass defense has been all year. I, they they haven't they haven't found a, a solution for it. And Baker, like Baker, is a is a good quarterback. And I actually want to ask you about where you kind of rank him now after the season. But like, he's not he's not a stud. He's not phenomenal. He's solid. I mean, he goes for three hundred thirty yards and three touchdowns in a playoff game. Like that's that's reprehensible. You're right. I mean, the Eagles need help on the. Uh, a defensive coordinator. They need to get something figured out quick there. Uh, Darius Slay got hurt in this game. I know, I, I don't know the severity of that injury, but like there is talent on the defensive side of the ball, but I, I just like, they couldn't defend the pass all year. And, and it was, it was their downfall again. One, so, of, one of the reasons for their downfall. <laughs> so one can't wait to see James Bradbury in the UFL this spring. That's my first point. <laughs> um, it's going to be great Two. Baker Mayfield is one of two active quarterbacks to have won a playoff game with two different NFL franchises. Jared Goff is the other. And the Mm -hmm. list of guys that have done that all time is like 25, 26 dudes. It's not a ton of people. It's, it's not a extensive, extensive list, but it's not necessarily a short list either. And some of the guys on that list aren't like big, big names, but I think he's proven himself as a guy that he's not a top tier quarterback but he's top like half, right? I, he- I had him like around like f- the 15 to 20 range is where I had him. I still think I could probably come up with roughly 15 quarterbacks that I'd rather have than him. But I mean, here's a guy that I had written off as what didn't belong as a starter in the NFL or was 
like a very high end backup coming into this year. And I, you know, I have to stand corrected based on what I saw this year. It was a phenomenal season and he's playing in the divisional round. Well, he's, he's a former number one overall pick. I would say he has not yet played to his full potential that he was drafted at. I think that there's still more that he could achieve in terms of personal growth as a quarterback, as a passer. But at the same time, he's having a career year in Tampa with the Hall of Fame receiver at his disposal and Mike Evans, right? Like he has a great situation there. He's got a defense led by guys who are a part of a Super Bowl defense. Vita Vea is now healthy and back in that D-line. He's an incredible run stopper for them. He was a big part of that uh, tush-push stop that Tampa Bay had on fourth down uh, at one point in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i in on Baker, man. I, I, I'm the, I don't think Tampa wins in Detroit next week by any means. Like D- Detroit should win that game. But, I actually think that Detroit's going to steamroll them, but we'll talk about that in the previews for next week. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get mm-hmm. there. But I would say, like, if you're a team that wants to contend for a playoff, uh, for the playoffs next year, and you're sort of on the fringe, I think Baker is a free agent after this year, right? I think it was just a yeah, one-year he deal he had. He Go get yeah. Baker. Go get Baker. Like, he's he's won more playoff games than Kirk Cousins. And Lamar Jackson too. He's won more playoff games than Lamar. I love Kirk, but I've got something for Baker, man. His toughness, the team has rallied around him. He is the guy the team is rallying around. It's his spirit, his toughness, the way he plays, the chip he has on his shoulder. And they were talking so much during the course of that game about how when he spent those four or five weeks with the Rams, it kind of reinvented his spirit for the game and for himself as a quarterback because McVay was telling him like hey man like I don't want you to do anything fancy I just want you to be Baker Mayfield like that's it you don't need to like cut anything away you don't need to be anything besides yourself and who you are as a player which is something the Browns were trying to take away from him the whole time he was in Cleveland so I'm all in on the resurgence and revitalization of Baker I, I don't really know what happens with him next year, to be honest, I would kind of like to see him back in Tampa with this team again and, and like to see them try to build around him for another year and, and go and win that division again. Um, but I think there might also be some other teams that that will try to look into him and, and actually pay the guy, especially after winning this game against a team that was in the Super Bowl the year before, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he, he will get paid, uh, that, that's for certain. So he'll have a nice payday here and you know, I said it with Jordan Love that this, you know, he took he's in the divisional round with the same Packers team that Aaron Rodgers didn't even make the playoffs with last year. Baker Mayfield's now in the divisional round with the same team that Tom Brady lost with in the first round last year. Now, I know that you're good. <laughs> I know. I know. Look, look, Damn. Look, 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 you you know that I have no grants. Hey, the Baker compares to Tom Brady, although they did flash a graphic at one point comparing the two on the broadcast, which I thought was funny. Well, wow. I'm just saying I'm just saying. It's the same guys around him, and they are one step further in the postseason than they were with Tom last year. You just chose violence, my friend. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm I'm sure I I knew that that would get you all up in arms, but uh, it had to be said. It's true, though. It's true. Um, The other note I had was that the Eagles were 0 of 9 on third down. Um, Just really inconsistent offensively the, the end of the year. and. 
that's not going to get talked about as much as the defense, but the offensive cohesion was not there down the stretch. Um, no word yet on, on Sirianni. I kind of think that if McCarthy didn't get fired, that Sirianni won't be either. I feel like he'll probably stay. There is a precedent though, with um, coaches getting fired within a year of, of a Super Bowl run or a year or two. The last time it happened was when Elway fired. Um, um, I forget who it was. Um, when the when Are you El- talking about Denver Tank, uh, head coach? Yeah, before they went to. Um, Not Vic Fangio, was it? I think it was. It was right before they went. I to can't. The, I can't remember exactly. It was the year before they won their Super Bowl. It was. Um, they fired John Fox in 2014. Then they hired Gary Kubiak in 2015. Okay. They go to an AFC championship and a Super Bowl. Gotcha. Gotcha. But, My bad. So, yeah. So they didn't fire the guy who had gone to the Super Bowl. They fired somebody and then went to the Super Bowl. That's what you're saying? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, no sweat. Okay. So back to what I was saying about Sirianni here, the Eagles have set a precedent, you know, for, for having a short memory and, and firing coaches that have, have brought them postseason and even Super Bowl success in the past. That being said, I, I don't think that they should move on from Sirianni. I don't. I mean, it was just last year. It was just last year. They were in the Super Bowl and were a questionable holding call away from maybe winning it. Okay. You can't ignore that. This team collapsed this year for a plethora of reasons. Maybe it had to do with coaching. I think it has to do a lot with Jalen Hurts. I have some jarring numbers if you compare him this year to last year. I mean, remember last year we were talking about MVP type guy. He got the big contract in the offseason, five years, $255 million. And he responds this year with 23 touchdowns and 15 picks. He had under 4,000 passing yards. He's never thrown for 4,000 passing yards in his career. His career passer rating is below the likes of Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr, Jimmy G, and Jared Goff. Okay, now some of those guys have played a little bit longer in the league, but Hertz has really only had one elite year at quarterback. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm, people are going to probably overreact to what I'm saying here. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. I'm not necessarily even saying that it was a one-off. But they need to make sure they surround him with the right talent on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm not talking about talent in terms of the players. I'm talking about offensive minds. I've heard rumors or rumblings that the real like offensive mastermind or genius was uh, Shane Steichen, who was the offensive yeah. coordinator last year, who's now in Indianapolis. And he's gone. And maybe they don't have the right personnel around Jalen Hurts to help him succeed. I'm just saying it's like three out of four years. We've seen Jalen Hurts just be like just a guy at the end of the day. He was. Touchdowns all you want. We talked about that. Those are tush pushes and those are just one yard plunges that I think is more product of his offensive line. He's got a career 67 touchdowns and 34 picks. That's barely a two to one TD to pick ratio. It's like not elite highest paid quarterback in football type numbers. They need to make sure they have the right personnel around him on the offensive side of the ball for next year. I don't know if Brian Johnson is it. And you're right. Sirianni's got to do something on the defensive side of the ball. I think that they got to address OCDC 
and go from there. And then if it still doesn't pan out, then you can start talking about Sirianni's job. OCDC is my favorite cover band <laughs> fronted by NFL assistant coaches. Um, and, and no, actually, John Fox led the Broncos to uh, the Super Bowl in 2013. They lost in the divisional championship game in 2014. He was fired. They okay. hire um, Kubiak after the fact, and they won the Super Bowl the year after. So there actually has been a precedent set where you can make it to Super Bowl, fire your head coach, hire a different guy, and then go and win the Super Bowl another year later. I don't, I don't think they're going to make that move. I don't know if they're, they're going to fire Sirianni. I, I think, I think that yes, there are problems with the coordinators, but I think the bigger problem is, is just the locker room in general. Like AJ Brown quit on this team and I, and it bled through to everybody else. He, he was hurt. He might not have been able to play in this game, but removing the team from your bio after says everything that you need to say in terms of how you feel about the organization. I think. I mean, George Pickens did the same thing in Pittsburgh. Yeah, but I'm just, I'm like, just saying. and then Pickens was some shocker, not accountable for his own poor play in, in the game the other day. I, as I, as a non-Steelers fan, I hate that guy. He's frustrating. We'll talk about him in a second. I, you know, the, the locker room thing, like, yeah, I, I guess that there is dissension in the locker room. I mean, there, like there has to be frustration, but like the whole losing the locker room thing, like why they were 10 and one. And then all of a sudden a, a switch flipped and they just, I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't necessarily think that this skid like the way the things ended this year, I don't necessarily think that you can just automatically assume it'll bleed over into next year. Uh, that's, that's where I'm saying like, hold the phone a little bit on the whole, you know, Sirianni can't coach these guys anymore. He's lost the locker room. So you, you got to let him go. Uh, we'll see. I, I think that he deserves at least one more year being only one year removed from a Super Bowl, and we'll see what happens. I mean, it is a Super Bowl caliber roster, at least on the offensive side of the ball. We'll see some of the, some of the guys on defense were struggling there uh, towards the back half of the year. I don't know. I, I don't, I, I think that Sirianni has deserved at least one more year. Yeah. I, I guess we'll have to see. I guess we'll mm -hmm. have to see. Um, do you see the Eagles contending for a Super Bowl, like playing for an NFC championship again in the next, in the next two years? Depends on Jalen Hurst for me. Um, Jalen Hurts plays like he did in 2022, 2023, then yes. If if not, if Jalen Hurts plays like he has the other three years of his career, then no. I mean, I I think I think that it's also that simple. Um, so I, you know, I would I, it depends on what your definition is also of like contending. You, you said contend for an NFC championship. Is that right? Yeah. Did I remember the question, right? Yeah. I mean. Do you like consider losing in the divisional round contending for an NFC championship or are you no, I mean like playing for an NFC I need I mean playing for an NFC championship game. No. I don't think he'll play in an NFC championship the next two years. I don't necessarily think that that's 100% an indictment on the Eagles, but I think that this Packers team is going to get better next year. I like Jordan Love better as a quarterback. I think that the Lions are going to continue to get better and the 49ers are already better than them. And then like Dallas might are, you know, might be better than them again next year. I think that there's too many other teams that are more on the rise 
in the NFC. Something else from this game, last point, um, Jason Kelsey is yet to officially announce his retirement. Supposedly no, he, he has, he has announced he's, he's hanging him up. No, he, um, so after the game in the locker room, supposedly he told his teammates, but he actually was quoted today saying like nothing's official yet. So I think he's still thinking about it or perhaps putting together some kind of like statement or thing where he can do it in his own way. I'm not, I'm not sure, but not, to my knowledge, there wasn't anything official yet. I think he, um, he came out right. and said something along the lines of like, when that news is official, it will be in a different way. Like, I wish it wasn't reported that way. So he may have alluded to the fact that it, it could be the case, but he's not sure if it is fully yet. So he could be coming back next year, possibly. I think he is obviously a key piece of that locker room. I mean, he's, he's a future hall of famer. He is um, first ballot. Yeah. And he, and he, if he walks away this year, he will be leaving at the top of his, of his game. All pro, all pro player again this season. Um, hell of a guy. Definitely my favorite of the two Kelsey brothers, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think same with me. Were there any losses as disappointing to you as the Cowboys or the, um, or the Eagles? Because I feel like even though we expected Miami to lose, it wasn't like this it wasn't like a huge gut punch like those games were. were were any of these afc games of that same variety to you so maybe not quite to the magnitude of of what the cowboys experienced but if there was any team um that i think took a punch in the gut the most it had to be the cleveland browns just with all of the talk around flacco um yeah, yeah i think that there was an assumption that from a team perspective like top to bottom the browns were the better roster than houston I think everybody would have said that they had the better defense, um, maybe like better overall skill guys as well. The only thing I think that you could have potentially pointed to coming into this game was that Stroud was a better quarterback than Flacco. And even some people, I think yourself included, might not have like gone completely that far just based on some of the things Flacco was able to do at the end of the year. I'm not saying that you were saying Flacco is a better quarterback than Stroud, but like the level of play that Flacco was putting out there week in and week out could compete with what Stroud was doing week in and week out. So if there is a team, I'd have to say probably Cleveland. Um, and then the manner in which they lost too was, was similar to what, what happened with Dallas. So definitely them. That was, uh, I have to admit, you know, I try to stay as impartial as, as I can on this podcast. Um, I know I'm not perfect at it. I, you know, I don't really always give the Ravens the love they deserve and Lamar Jackson as well, but man, it was satisfying to sit back and watch the Cleveland Browns implode. It really was. It was pretty crazy. This game was, it went from feeling close to start the third quarter to just disintegrating into nothing for the Browns on, on two Joe, Joe Flacco um, interceptions. It was like bang, bang, dead, done. Yep. 10, 10 point game to 24 point game. You're not getting back into this. You're not stopping Stroud that many times and you're not going to score that many points. Quite frankly, I was just as impressed with Houston's ability to deal with Cleveland's pass rush and play against their defense as I was with Houston's defensive performance against Cleveland's offense. After the game, by the way, Cleveland fired uh, their offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt, for one yep. reason or another. Um, 
Yeah, man, you hit the nail on the head. This was not at all how Browns fans, I think, expected this game to go. I picked the Browns to win. I I thought – I didn't think they were going to blow Houston out. I thought it could have been a close game. And I even said, like, I'll tip my cap to C.J. Stroud if if they win this game, if they do it. Like, I'll crown him the king of rookie quarterbacks, essentially. And Case Keenum did something along those lines as well after the game. Someone got a quote from him saying – I think he's going to be the best of all time, end quote. And he even that's acknowledged, like, big talk. I know that's crazy talk. And he even acknowledged it. He's like, listen, I know how crazy that sounds, believe me, but I've been around the game for a while now. And typically, like, you go week to week, you point out four or five throws that a guy makes that are mistakes. You look at the film, you build on them, and so on and so on. And then he said, this guy's had four or five mistake throws all year. He is like the things that he does in practice in the game, seeing him every day. He said this with conviction, like he's got greatness potential. Um, And then he, to top it all off, he did it with Deshaun Watson on the other sideline too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the ultimate FU to Cleveland because the Texans have the Browns pick also this upcoming and Baker wins a playoff game in Tampa too. (laughs) I mean, just like, you know, this is so typical Cleveland, I got to say, when like things are looking so good for you, right? You know, we we talked about him. You did that segment on the podcast a couple of weeks back about how like the city was reinvigorated. Everybody was behind Joe Flacco. And in an instant, like it just goes away and they get kicked in the nuts, not once, but twice. Yeah, like because the Texans have their pick this upcoming year and the quarterback that they let go. Previously, before bringing in Deshaun, it won a playoff game himself with another franchise. Um, I'm not going to make this all about just a, a bashing of Cleveland. Uh, I did pick the Texans myself last week on the podcast, but I'm not going to pat myself on the back for it. And and here's why, because I said that I thought that this game could go either way. And I only had a slight lean on on Houston in this one. And, and quite frankly, I should have given him more credit because CJ Stroud is very damn good at football. I said that the Texans were going to have to hit some big chunk plays against this Browns defense so that they didn't have to, you know, just like continually methodically drive the length of the field against them because I didn't think they'd be able to do that. They did multiple 20, 30 yard throws. I think the touchdown to Schultz was 25, 30 yards in the air. Brevin Jordan, I know it wasn't a bomb, long bomb in the air, but like he took it 75 yards to the house. You know, Nico Collins had a couple of big catches. Like who is CJ Stroud throwing to? Nico Collins was a nobody before this year. Tank Dell is hurt. He's throwing to the likes of Brevin Jordan. Dalton Schultz is a solid tight end. But like Stroud is that dude. And he's the engine of this team. And like I am more and more impressed with him week in and week out. Him and Jordan Love are just like have blown me away the past couple weeks. And after this first round of the playoffs, Um, Stroud's ability to throw on the run, throw from awkward angles, throw off his back foot. It's the same thing I'm saying about Jordan Love. Like there, you know, he can stand in the pocket. He can, you know, he surveys the field. You remember that rumor and not necessarily a rumor, but there was that like belief or quote out from somebody around draft time last year that CJ Stroud couldn't process NFL defenses quickly. Yeah, that's been that? a talking point all year where he said like, okay, you don't like, you don't believe that I can process. You don't believe I'm a smart QB. Watch this. I just, I, I don't know. I, I, whoever came up with that, I guess either looking for clicks or maybe they, they haven't take what that wonder lick test or, or something like that. I don't know if he scored that, that well on it. Maybe that was why, 
but the the biggest knock on him was like we don't know how he's going to perform when pockets break down because he worked through so many clean pockets at Ohio State. No <laughs> shit, just he, fine. He's got o- Ohio State's offensive line protecting him. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, man, it was so many people missed on him. And if you're the Carolina Panthers right now, you're like, why did we pick pick the other guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, this could be us right now. You're telling me we can't have similar results with like Adam Thielen in our receiving core or whoever versus Nico Collins and, and these guys, like there's a whole lot of other issue, issues with the Panthers. I don't want to talk about that really. Um, Stroud, 236 yards in this game, three touchdowns in the first half, which was a rookie postseason quarterback record for a half. Okay. It was also the most passing yards Cleveland has given up in a single half all season. And to top it all off, he now is the youngest quarterback ever to win a playoff game, passing Michael Vick for that feat. He's got Michael Vick beat by like 40 or 50 days or something like that. Um, Houston goes from three and 13 last year to second round uh, appearance in the playoffs at least. And this is their first playoff victory since the 2019 wild card round victory over Buffalo in overtime. Um, they lost the following week to Kansas City in a game where – they were up by like 20 something early in the game and, and Kansas city yeah. ended up beating them 50, 51, 31. I think the final yeah, score something was something like that. Yeah. Um, Houston's now playing with house money against Baltimore. And there's some serious legacy potential stuff with Stroud now with that game, which, which I'm really excited for. Um, what does Cleveland do from here, though? I mean, like when when Watson was healthy this year, outside of a game in, in Indiana where he left in the middle of the first quarter, they were four and one when he was a starter. And the last game he played in against Baltimore, he was perfect in the second half of that game. Literally perfect, like had a perfect passer rating and they won. They came back and won. Um, obviously, they're going to bring him back next year do do you think they can at least get back to this game with a healthy Nick Chubb with a healthy Deshaun Watson which with perhaps a a revamped healthy defense as well you think they can get back to the wild card round again next year um they can if you just look at their team in a vacuum I think that they're talented enough to do so I mean you figure Chubb back should be an upgrade I mean, again, with Deshaun Watson, it's such a a question mark. Like, if we get a Deshaun Watson that resembles more of what we saw in Houston, then yeah, absolutely. But if we see the Deshaun Watson that we've seen more times than not since he's put on a Browns uniform, then no. I mean, and a lot of that will also factor into, you know, the Ravens are going to be good next year, and the Bengals are going to get Joe Burrow back. So, And the Steelers, you know, we talk about them a lot. We've mentioned beat, beat the dead horse on that. They're always oh, at least around five. We'll talk about le- them more yeah. soon too. They're always at least around 500. So like this, this division is very difficult. Um, and it could be the case where like Deshaun plays solid and the Browns have a, have a good team and they just can't get back to it because the schedule is too tough and, and the teams that they have to go through are, are too much for them. There, there's no there's no question a, a, after this i mean look flacco played a poor game he he did he threw the two interceptions which really salted the game away but i like i'm not going to to deg um like 
downgrade him too much. Like what he was able to do to get the Browns back into the playoffs was impressive. So, so credit to him, but you have to roll back with Sean Watson. He, if you're the Browns, he's the guy that you're paying $230 million for. And quite frankly, if Flacco wants to play again next year, I think he's going to command too much money. You know, like you just can't, you're still paying to Sean. You can't even really bring him in as a backup. I think it's just going to be too much money that they won't be able to afford. So you roll it back with Deshaun and, and you hope that you're getting the, the Texans version to Deshaun, because if you're not, it's, it's cataclysmic for, for that Browns franchise, because at the best, they're just going to be a fringe wildcard team again next year. If Deshaun doesn't play at a higher level and you're out picks, and then you're going to have to start the process all over. And, you know, Cleveland fans have been through that before. So that's my opinion. I know that you've been an advocate of bringing Flacco back. I'd also like to get your opinion just about like Flacco in general, how you thought he played your takeaways from him and and, and his game on Saturday. I mean, what do you mean? He sucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I just, I, you've had such high praise for him. I, I just yeah, wondered he, if that it was going to be your takeaway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't right. good. No, he, he was, he mm-hmm. was the reason they, the main reason why they lost that game. I mean, we could talk about their defense too. No sacks, only one hit on the quarterback. Like, Laramie Tunsil was incredible in this game. Yeah, where where was defensive player of the year Miles Garrett in this one? I didn't He's really been hear nowhere his name since that much. Thanksgiving. He's been nowhere yep. since Thanksgiving. Um, I was, I mean, look, part of it was that Cleveland has had a rotating door at safety the last few weeks because of injuries. Um, but no, Flacco was his inconsistencies and his faults, his warts as a passer and that five, six week stretch at the end of the year were on full display in this game. We saw more highs than lows at the end of the season, but in this game, it was the total opposite. And Houston was able to take advantage of the mistakes and and really like Cleveland's successes this year were from being aggressive on defense, forcing mistakes into forcing mistakes from less than superior quarterbacks. Stroud is not going to make those mistakes. He's not against any team. I think almost any team We'll we'll talk more about this Ravens game later, but like they took the Brown strategy and, and threw it right, right back at him. Like, all right, you're going to be aggressive. You're going to throw all these blitzes at us. We'll attack you and we'll make you pay for it. And they did over and over and over again. Um, I, I love this Texans team. I've loved watching Stroud throw the ball all year. I'm a huge fan of his. Um, we talked about Puka earlier and, and the rookie season that he's had. Stroud has had an incredible rookie season as well. I think choosing between those guys for rookie of the year is going to be really difficult for some folks. Yeah, yeah I'm excited to see that vote. Um, yeah, just, just one final thing on Houston. Uh, you, you know, we, we talked about Flacco's shortcomings. I think that they mentioned that, you know, 27, I think he would have been on pace to throw 27 interceptions in a full NFL season. So Damn. you're right. Like this was too, his, the Browns defense had been able to bail him out on some of the bad throws in the regular season that you're right. Stroud is just too talented for the defense to come through in that regard again here in the playoffs. But I need to personally make sure that I give praise to the Texans defensive side of the ball. Again, they had the two pick sixes there. They're getting pressure on Flacco all night and an overlooked thing that in the first matchup, we talked about how CJ Stroud didn't play, but Will Anderson also didn't play in, in the first matchup between the Browns and the Texans. He was the number three overall pick in, in last year's NFL draft to another extremely talented young rookie that they have. And D'Amico Ryans comes from a defensive background in San Francisco and he's clearly got that Texans defense humming. And 
I, I, I was worried about, you know, rookie quarterback, first year head coach, how would they fare in the playoffs? I'm, I'm throwing that out the window, man. If the Texans play a complete football game like they did against Cleveland, and I'm saying if, I am saying if, if they play to the level that they did against Cleveland on both sides of the ball, great offense, great defense, they will beat the Baltimore Ravens because that caliber, that caliber of play is the caliber of play that Baltimore puts out on their best day. That's a huge if, and I'm not saying it will happen, but if they come ready to play and play that well, they will beat the Baltimore Ravens. Save it. Save it for the predictions. Save Fair enough. Predictions. Fair enough. Fair enough. Kansas City, Miami. This was the... This was, I don't know what to call this, the Blizzard Bowl, like Ice Bowl. No, something like that. (laughs) The fourth coldest game in the NFL history, this was. The Chiefs won 26 to 7. Um, Temperature of the game at kickoff was minus four degrees, but with the wind chill, it was something closer to like minus 27. Dozens of fans were treated for frostbite after the game, (laughs) and multiple players, like, and, and hypothermia as well, hypothermia and frostbite. Like, I'm like, listen, I get football weather, quote unquote, and all that, but maybe next year we just take a page from Bill's Steelers and like play the game on Monday. I, that's my hot take or cold take, I guess. I like, I kind of wasn't a fan of, how cold it was because like you could just tell it was affecting both teams a good a good bit and maybe that's just my stance from like loserville or whatever but i don't know it it was so cold it looked so cold man and you can even see like taylor swift in her box like drawing little smiley faces through the ice in the class (laughs) watching the game too it was crazy absolutely crazy yeah you, you you could you could definitely tell the cold um I, I love it when like you like you can see like how clearly you can see someone's breath. I mean that you could tell how cold it is just based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, the field was was basically an ice block, but I, I got to say you can't move the game purely because of cold. I mean this is the this is the National Football League. I mean how soft is that? People sound? are getting hypothermia and frostbite. <laughs> it's, know, what it do just, you mean some cold? This is it, like record low temperatures. It's it just, not safe. Uh, it just like it just sounds soft to me. Just just saying we're moving it because of the cold. Like you compared it to the Steelers Bills. <laughs> game like at least that that was because of snow just because people couldn't even get to the freaking field but uh, yeah i it, it terrible conditions but one team found a way uh to play well through them the other team does what they do and can't can't win in the cold peacock was also broadcasting this game much to the chagrin of a lot of like um casual nfl fans i think and people that watch every week like that don't have Peacock to start with. Like, why do I have to spend five bucks for this streaming platform just to watch the game? And they did not have as many viewers as some of the other games did just in total, but they did set a streaming platform record for views um, in a stream game. They had 23 million average viewers. Uh, That was also the most viewers ever of a live stream in U S history. People were talking all kinds of smack about it on Twitter. Even you and I were like, this isn't, this isn't really a great like broadcast. The picture is not awesome. And still we have to deal with commercials, even though it's on a streaming platform, which didn't really make sense. But I got to say, man, they're in contract to do it again next year. Amazon is looking like they're, they're doing it. What was, what was like, how did you overall receive it? Are you okay with 
streaming services doing more playoff games in the future or would you rather stay away from it uh, i'd rather stay away from it I, I think i made my case clear last week that this game shouldn't be on peacock i mean you should make it more readily accessible for i mean it should just be on a channel that's included in your your cable package or youtube tv package or something like that um you're right i mean i i don't like uh, even though i have peacock like i don't i don't like the the prospect of someone who didn't happen to pay an extra like let's say a Chiefs or a Dolphins fan who's followed the team the whole year, just you know watching games on CBS or or buying like Sunday Ticket or something like that, and now you know for the most important game of the season they got to go pay an extra four or five bucks to to watch their team. It just doesn't sit right with me. I understand where the NFL is trending in that regard. Like all you have to do is see the writing on the wall. You know Thursday night games are all on Amazon now. Um, I mean I think eventually we're going to completely move over to streaming platforms, but for now, while you still do have cable packages out there and you still do have like your standard CBS, Fox, NBC on, on YouTube TV or any other Comcast, Verizon, whatever it may be, I, I didn't like it. I, it didn't sit right with me. By the way, Amazon um, had an average viewership of around 11 and a half million for their Thursday night games this year with some uh, games in Europe as well. That was less than a half of uh, what this Peacock broadcast did in this game. Moving on to the game itself, pretty much exactly how we saw this for Miami. In terms of like envisioning an end to the season for the Dolphins, I feel like having to go play on the road in an ice bowl against the Chiefs is just about as bad as all of your core offensive players breaking both of their legs at the same time in terms of like expecting success for the dolphins going forward. Like if you had to pick as the nemesis to the Miami dolphins, a worst possible scenario for them to play the game in, this would be it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, dude, uh, you know, I, we talked about some of their stats of how bad they were in the cold and it, it came to fruition again. Um, they have, they're now 11 straight games, 11 straight losses in games that are under 40 degrees uh, of temperature. You know, I mean, it's it's football. You're going to face cold weather and they just like can't win in that scenario. And they really only have themselves to blame with how they collapsed. They had a three game lead on Buffalo. Yeah. It, it, you know, at the back half of the year, they all they had to do was beat Buffalo in their home field at Hard Rock Stadium. And they're playing this game or playing a game against somebody in Miami instead of having to go into the frigid temperatures of Kansas City. So they only have themselves to blame in that regard. No offense from them. Although Tua was god awful. Um, yeah, and it, you're right. I mean, everything it ended. You know how how we thought it would for them, and it's it's kind of it's a second year in a row that they've collapsed. I, I know that last year a lot of that had to do to injuries, particularly to Tua himself. But I I think that this is unacceptable. Top top to bottom, head coach, quarterback, everybody. And injuries played a part this year. Some on the defensive side of the ball, but every team's got injuries this time of year. They had huge injuries and, and I don't think it's entirely fair to make excuses for them, but at the same time, like they lost their two best pass rushers. They lost their best linebacker. They lost a bunch of other players to injury as well. Pretty much all of their key offensive players were listed on the injury report going into this game. Tyree kill Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert, Devon Shane, all on the injury report going into this game with notable injuries too. Not like fake, like, we're going to put him on the injury report because he's a little banged up. These guys were dealing with actual injuries going into this game. 
and then had to go and play in sub-zero temperatures. Um, with this loss and with the Detroit loss, the Miami Dolphins now hold the longest playoff drought, longest playoff victory drought in the NFL at 22 years. Their last playoff victory came in 2001. The Raiders are the next closest team. They're a year behind at 21 seasons. You couple that with Mike McDaniel now being 4-10 and 10 combined in December and January. Something has to change if they are going to be successful moving forward because any deep playoff run, you are banking on having a home field advantage, essentially, if you're Miami. Like, there's no other – with Tua as your quarterback – and really the whole makeup of, of where you play your games normally, like you have to hold out hope that you have either a two or a one seed. And, and that's really it. Right. Uh, that's the way it seems just how their seasons have gone the past couple of years. Um, and I think that like their, his struggles in December and January, it's like, it's directly related to to the weather. Obviously this team is really good in September and like the first half of October when it's warm, it's hot and it's difficult to go and play in Miami. And, and by and large, all the cities that they're going and traveling to in those early months are still at least like somewhat warm. And then once the temperature gets cold, I mean, they can't, they can't play. So that, that clearly is some sort of a factor there. Um, I, I think Mike McDaniel's seat should be like lukewarm uh, going into next year. I'm not saying fire him. I'm not. And I'm not even saying like, if it's a not great season next year, let him go. But this is now a second collapse in a row. I I mentioned that already. Some injuries had to do with that in the 2022 season. He's a very good offensive mind, but sometimes I question like his ability to kind of lead these guys when shit really hits the fan and when their backs are truly against the wall, you know, like he's got that fun loving, like if you've, if you've seen hard knocks, I remember the clip, one of the first episodes of hard knocks, like it opens in a meeting and Tyreek's just shooting a basketball and like, you know, McDaniel's got kind of the jokes in this like laid back vibe going, you know, he hits his vape and we saw that on the sideline. I think that was in last year's playoff game. And that's, that's cool. And I'm sure like that's fun to play with for, or fun to play for, for, for the players. (laughs) But that doesn't really that doesn't really fly, you know, when stuff isn't going well. Sometimes you need like a a more like, I guess, commandeering and uh, I guess more demanding type personality. And I don't know. I don't know if McDaniel is that guy. I know that I haven't heard anybody say he's on the hot seat. I'm not saying he should. But I question I question when shit hits the fan, like how good of a leader of men he is. Maybe unfair to say I'm not in the locker room with them, but that's an inkling I have. It's like he's playing Madden in real life and not not at like the highest level either. <laughs> well, um, I think he I think he's great offensive scheming. Like I think he is a phenomenal football mind in terms of understanding the game. I'm just talking about like leading these guys in the locker. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he like has that trait. I would say, you know how some stovetops, how on the dial where you select the temperature. Before low, mm-hmm. there's the simmer option. Yeah. His seat is simmering yeah. right now. Yeah. Like, it's not like really yeah. hot. It's not yeah. even really turned up yet. But there's a little something there where if you're smart in the Dolphins front office, you might look at it and go, hmm. I, I would say, though, I think Tua is the bigger issue here. I mean. He is an issue. The Dolphins I, were one of 12 on third down. Like so much of their offense is based around rhythm and timing. And just watching this game, 
how many plays were affected by the weather in that aspect, like rhythm and timing was, it was almost like every single play, like somebody slipping somewhere or you can't get a clean handle on the ball on the snap because you can't feel the ball. Like it was, it was, again, I'm going back to the weather, but few teams would be built to play in this kind of nonsense. The dolphins definitely aren't. Um, Even if you bring the, temperatures up 20 degrees they probably still get their butt kicked um but Tua is is the biggest issue to me I I don't I don't think he is a guy that is going to be a playoff winning quarterback for them and really for like anybody honestly unless he I I know he I know where he was this year in, in passing yards in the NFL. And I know what kind of out, offensive output he can have during the course of the season, but just in playoffs alone, this time of year, this time of weather, unless he's playing in Miami or a dome, you're not going to win. You're not with, with two at the helm. You're just not. So if I were them, I would try to find a way to maybe trade away from Tua and bring in somebody else, go get Baker, go get Kirk, go do something like that. Um, I mean, who's going to be looking for a quarterback next year with a dome, Atlanta, Minnesota, Vegas, maybe like reach out to all those teams, see how they feel about Tua and, and see what happens. Um, McDaniels though, after the game said Tua is quote unquote, his guy, um, hit the exact quote was that's my guy, man, which I mean, seems pretty like what he would say. Yeah, I mean he he's gonna back him. He's backed him plenty of times already, and I'm not surprised he said that. And I like I also think he he should say that you can't come out after the playoff game and and you know ridicule your your quarterback or say that you know he's not the guy for the team. But um, I'm with you. I'm with you 100 percent on Tua. I like you're right. He, he did he did lead the league in passing yards this year, but like you can't win a playoff game with the talent he's got around him on offense. And not only can you not win it, you stink in this, you know, 51.9 or no, I'm sorry. Sub sub 60% completion percentage. It was in the fifties for his completion percentage. And the one touchdown they did score, like the ball was massively underthrown. It was all Tyreek. Tyreek Tyreek had his man beat by two or three steps. He has to come back for the ball, draws a pass interference call, then like shakes a man after that. The ball is wildly underthrown. Oh, it wasn't just a guy he shook out. He juked out like three dudes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an extremely, like there's so many skill guys that are like very talented on this offense. Tyreek, Jalen Waddle, Raheem Mostert had 21 touchdowns this year. Like we saw Devon A-Chain when he was healthy, was extremely explosive. There's so many pieces around him. And yeah, for Tua to not, not win, I get it. He's on the road, but again, like I, I look at him not playing well and down the stretch to lose the division and, you know, Patrick Mahomes had to deal with the same conditions Tua did. Okay. So I, I'm not making the cold as an excuse for Tua. That interception he threw early in the first half was horrendous. Waddle was open over the middle. He just overshot him. So look, is Tua an okay quarterback in this league? Yeah. Should Tua be starting in this and in the league? Yeah. Is he capable of leading a team anywhere? Like you said, absolutely not. Uh, he's just not. If he can't, if he can't go anywhere with the weapons he has on offense this year, like you just have to point to the quarterback at, at that point. So I agree. I don't know really what you're going to get for him um, in a trade because it's, if I remember correct, his, so he's got next year and then his contract, like that's his, they would have to, um, his cap is him. going, his salary is going to jump from um, 
just over 9 million this year to, I think like 23, 24 million, something along those lines. He's yeah. 24 million. So he's at 9.6 million right now as cap hit next year. It's going to be 24 million. Um, but then he's a free agent right after that. So, I mean, you know, like, ex- do you extend him or do you no, move off him? I don't. That, 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 that's the point. That's the point I'm getting at. It's like, yeah, you want to get something for him if you're the dolphins, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if what franchise out there is going to give something of significance for a guy who's only got one year left on his deal. And still like, there's plenty unproven about him, or there's at least a notion out there that his success that he's had isn't really product of him. And it's more the system, you know? So look, they should ride him next year to see if it gets any better. And then, uh, you know, I guess, yeah, move, move off of, I think that they should move off of him uh, unless he can go prove he can win a playoff game and that he's the focal point. Why? Because you're right. Like, I think that they they could get a Baker Mayfield in here. He could run the offense just as well. Like a Jared Goff, uh, you know, a, any one of those guys can run this offense just as well or better than, than Tua, I think. Goff ain't leaving Detroit, my man. I know, that's, I know. I just use him. I use him as an arbitrary example. Um, No, I'm, I'm with you, though. I actually, I'll say, too, I think even though Hill made that huge play, I think that like if I'm looking at everything in this game, big picture wise, I actually think his legacy took a small hit in this game too, because you're playing against your former team in their stadium in this game. You didn't really have an awesome day. Like you had, you had the one big catch, but it's not like you set the world on fire on the stat sheet otherwise. Right. And I think like, he's another guy that, I mean, we've seen him play in cold weather games before in KC, but in terms of, what he offers as a receiver, it's like speed and he can run his certain routes in the route tree, but you're not going to rely on him for contested catches like down the field, like you would for, for other guys, say like a Mike Adams or uh, like an AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, CD lamb, even um, still an awesome receiver, still top five in the league, still even like top two or three, but I, I like, Legereus Sneed was jamming him at the line of scrimmage all day. And after the game, Sneed was quoted as saying, like, I know he doesn't like that. Like, I, I just dominated him. And Kansas City had such a mental edge over Miami going into this game. They were practicing in this weather all week. Unless the Dolphins were, placking, were practicing in a Miami area hockey rink, they were practicing in, like, 60-degree weather. <laughs> two days before this game there's there was no shot in hell they were going to win this thing there's no chance no chance yeah i i don't i don't think that this took a, a hit towards tyreek's legacy i mean yeah he, he's still the leading receiver for the dolphins and i i think that his like his stat sheet not looking as outrageous as we've seen him at other points this season was really more a product of the quarterback than than he himself um but yeah, I mean, maybe what LeJarius Sneed was able to do to him at the line will give cornerbacks a little bit of a blueprint to stop him for next year. I mean, Tyreek's not a big guy, so obviously he's going to rely on on speed. And if if you can, well, again, it's it, their offense is based on rhythm and timing. And if you yeah, can just run and, that with the weather and jamming the guy at the line at the same time, like you're going to win that yeah. battle more often than not. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I agree. And 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 look, we we've talked we talked about the Dolphins this whole time about this game, so we don't even have too much time to talk about the Chiefs. But their defense, I I know that you were a little bit critical of their defense a, a couple of weeks back. I, I think it's been very good. Uh, I I you know 
this Dolphins, I know that the weather played a factor here, but this is a good offense. They held it to seven points, kept Tyreek in check, like you said. Really no running game. I mean, the Dolphins couldn't really stay committed to the run, um, falling behind like they did. So, uh, like, big credit to the Chiefs defense. I said that I thought the defense was good enough to to win a game where Mahomes wasn't at his best. I wouldn't necessarily say this was like a bad Mahomes game, but he was like 23 of 41, 262 in a touch. Not a great game for him. Uh, so credit to the Chiefs defense. And then if I could get one more point in on Kansas City before we move on, I think I think Rasheed Rice is starting to evolve as, as that go-to receiver. You Absolutely. talked about, like, like, I don't think that Tyreek's legacy is affected at all. Every Kansas City fan is going to remember him fondly. But, like, I think it proves that, you know, people who have said, well, how can they win without Tyreek or how can they win without a legit receiver? Somebody will develop because Patrick Mahomes is the quarterback. And Rasheed Rice seems to be stepping up as that guy. And if Rice is going to play at the level that he did against Miami down the stretch, I mean, look out. Because if Rasheed Rice plays at the level that he did against Miami the rest of the way, that's better than any receiver played on Kansas City's playoff run last year. I mean, Travis Kelsey was playing better last year than he is this year. But Kelsey still had seven for 71. He wasn't non-existent in this game. So you get Rasheed Rice as a legit uh, other pass catching option along with Kelsey who kind of hit stride and has some chemistry with Mahomes in the playoff stretch, you know, look out Kansas city is going to be the same old chiefs. They're going to be dangerous as ever. To your point um, on the Rasheed Rice thing, he set a chiefs rookie playoff debut record with 130 receiving yards in this game, did it on eight catches, had the touchdown as well. He's definitely become, um, he and Pacheco have become the main focal points of this offense. And I kind of touched on it when Pacheco was, was healthy back on the team. Like when both those two guys are out there and they're firing at full cylinders, they're a much different offense than when they're not. And it, it helps open things up even for Kelsey a little bit. He went seven catches for 71 yards in this game. You remember what I said going into the playoffs, like he doesn't necessarily need to be the number one guy. But if he can show up and make big catches for them occasionally in the right situations, that'll be enough to get them to the games they really want to be playing in. Um, we're going to talk more about that um, game against Buffalo as well. You mentioned their defense. Their defense has been pretty good all year. The conversation surrounding their defense changed a little bit midseason when they started losing games. But even if you look at the losing streak, or not losing streak, but their struggles like towards the end of the year, they've allowed 20 points or less in six of their last seven games. And the only game that they did not allow 20 points or less in was a 2017-9 loss to the Jordan Love-led Green Bay Packers, who only apparently now is like the best quarterback in the league. So I say that with a little bit of hyperbole, but like... Their defense is legit, man. And like, even going back to that loss of the Bills, they lost that game 20 to 17. It was a field goal game. Like, I believe in their defense. I believe in that unit. Um, I believe in Andy Reid and his frozen mustache wherever it travels. Um, the Chiefs, man, they're Mahomes is coming alive at the right time, just like you said. And he's got a test in Buffalo this coming week. It'll be his first ever true road playoff game, which we'll talk some more about as well. This, this was why I was saying like, and you were getting mad at me a few weeks back. This is why I was saying 
Like, I still don't I still, necessarily think I still he'll follow trust through him. all the way, but maybe not. But like, I still trust them as a legit threat just because they have Mahomes. You know, well, I, that's that's all they've proven to need it. That's all they've proven that they need to have. All I'll say though, like, <laughs> play any team but the Dolphins at home in temperatures that are closer to freezing than zero. And I don't think they have as easy of a cakewalk through this first round. Like, I think they really lucked out with who their opponent was and the specifics with that. I think, like, in in a way, like, not on paper by how the actual seedings were, but if I were to rank these games by, like, overall situation, most likely to win, I would have put them first because of the weather and everything else with the Dolphins, you know? Yeah, maybe so. They're like a pseudo one seed, sort of, in this in this past weekend. Um, so <laughs> it's it's crazy. We've taken it. It's it's taken us this long to get to this game. Bills Steelers thirty one seventeen final score. Buffalo wins. Both of us gave the Steelers a zero percent chance of uh, advancing beyond this round or or winning in general. And there was even a, a late sort of rallying cry from the Steelers after this game was postponed from Sunday to Monday, where guys were saying like, oh, they're scared of us, like, like whatever. But then there were also people saying like, well, whatever advantage we had from the weather is now gone. I don't think it would have mattered either way. I think Buffalo would have won regardless. They, they deal with cold weather all the time. It's the coldest cold weather stadium in the league. And they dominated you guys on the grounds. 179 rushing yards on 34 carries to 106 rushing yards on 23 carries. I know that Mason Rudolph has been kind of the key cog of, of the revamped offense the last handful of weeks, but also like, let's be real. You were never going to win a playoff game relying on, on Mason Rudolph's arm. I, I don't understand why you didn't try to run the ball a little bit more actually, especially with how banged up Buffalo's defense was. I mean, by the end of the game, they had a healthy D-line and healthy safeties, but every other starter and backup on the defensive side of the ball was hurt. Literally every other guy was hurt. And then they also had DeMar Hamlin, who, by the way, almost died last year. <laughs> it's not like they're the Brady bunch of healthy NFL defenses, you know? I, I actually think that we should have run the ball less. I think we should have thrown it more. Well, first really? of all, you got, you got it. Well, part of that is like game scripts. Why, why the rushing and passing splits were the way that they were. I mean, we, I were, understand, behind, yeah. we were behind 21, nothing at one point in this game. So, right. So factor that in, but the bills were stacking the box. Like they, they were just playing one high safety. I thought we should have taken more shots early in the game. I thought we should have had pickings on some deep routes, like the stuff that worked in that game against Cincinnati when Rudolph first came in, that's been his, biggest strength is his his ability to kind of throw this rainbow type pretty deep ball and look i know at the end if you just look purely at the numbers like we've mason rudolph threw the ball 39 times he was okay he was was serviceable i thought i thought i thought he played pretty well i I mean circumstances abiding the the interception in the end zone was was a bad throw he should have thrown that more towards the towards the sideline he was a lot better after the interception than he was before right right look i'm i the Steelers lost this game because they weren't as good of a team as Buffalo, not because Mason Rudolph didn't play well. And right. I, I know that the, like the odds are stacked against you. I think Mason could win a playoff game. I, I think that this was not the scenario in which he could have done that going on the road to Buffalo with a talented guy like Josh Allen. 
But to finish my point about the run pass split, I thought that a couple of the drives where we had um, that stalled early on for the Steelers and that allowed Buffalo to just kind of compile and get touchdown after touchdown and dominate some time of possession and just dominate the scoreboard early were because we were a little bit too predictable on on just running the ball on, on early downs. There was also a drive in the second half where we ended up settling for a field goal that brought the lead to 21-10. I think it was 21-7 at the time, where even Tony Romo on the broadcast was saying, oh, Mason's kind of getting into a little bit of a groove now. He had driven us down, and we were like at, at the Buffalo, like inside their 30, and then we just went run, run. Buffalo stuffed it because they were stacking the box the whole time, and then it was like a third and eight, and we didn't convert and kicked the field goal from there, kind of killed the drive. I thought that there were a couple instances of that. So I thought that game script dictated the fact that we couldn't run the ball or that we weren't able to run it as much as they would have liked. But then I thought they relied on a little bit too much early. I thought it would have been a lot um, trickier of a game plan for Buffalo if we came out chucking the ball early and set the run up later just because Buffalo knew that the run was coming. I thought we needed to do something a little bit more unpredictable. You were right. You were down 21 nothing at one point in this game, but then you fought back. You made it a 24-17 game. It was within – it was a one-score game with 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. So whatever deficit you were in, you found a way to crawl your way back from and turn it into a touchdown game at one point. Buffalo had a long drive after that and ended it with a touchdown. Um, the biggest play in this game, I think just purely for momentum – I mean, there were a lot of like weird plays in this game. We sort of touched on it earlier. Refs definitely got involved in this one. There were a couple like fumble plays. There was the Allen Robinson concussion play. There was uh, the play where Porter got concussed, where some random O lineman comes in and hits him in the back at the end of the play. I thought that like, I don't understand how that's not a penalty in football, but it should be like, how is that guy not defenseless? Right. Um, But otherwise, like, the biggest play to me was that big touchdown run from Josh Allen, where he just went into Colin Kaepernick mode almost. You know, you know what play I'm talking about, where Kaepernick oh, ran yeah. through the Packers defense. This was like that on steroids because Allen was stiff arming dudes halfway through as well. Fifty yard, fifty-two yard touchdown run. Um, I am going to take this moment to give him a small amount of credit because. I've been hating on him pretty much the whole second half of the season and saying how he has become more of a runner than a thrower and this and that. Well, turns out he might be the best running quarterback in in football, <laughs> like pure straight up as, as a runner. Lamar is, is up there with him for sure. But then he also goes 21 to 30 for 203 yards, three touchdowns. He, he was awesome in this game. Josh Allen was like, not perfect, but he, he played really well. And, um, Buffalo is a scary team man. playing at home. Like I, you're right. They were just the better team on paper. Like I, I think the fact that you guys had the game within a score in the fourth quarter, not late in the fourth quarter, but in the fourth quarter, nonetheless, I think that was a testament to what Tomlin has been able to do with this group this year and just putting them in positions that they really shouldn't have been in in the first place all seasons long in a good way like I don't even think really you should have been in this game in the first place yet you were you know 
Well, you and I have differing opinions on that. Um, but I want to touch on, cause we'll talk about Tomlin coming up here in just a minute. Um, I, I want to, I agree with you about Josh Allen. Um, I, I want to talk about that first because he was great. I mean, responsible for four touchdowns in this one and, and poor tackling on that, on that touchdown run. Um, you know, he just kind of bullied through our, our defenders there and, and look, the way that their offense is moving the ball with him, even if we had brought him down at the 30-yard line or whatever that was, whenever it looked like he was going to go down, they probably would have just marched in and scored against us anyway. Um, I, I think that the Steelers hanging around, um, I like I, I'm I'm going to give Mason Rudolph a little bit more of the credit here because, yeah, he threw the interception earlier in the game, but like consider the fact that that drive that he ended up throwing the interception on early, that was a 91-yard drive that he was leading down like he had led them basically the length of the field uh it would have been very easy when it was 24 to 10 right before that that drive that you referenced that brought us back within seven points uh, at the 10 minute mark of the fourth quarter the bills fans are loud they're throwing snowballs they got that train noise that goes on in the background there very d- tough environment to play and it would have been very easy to kind of go turtle mode and just kind of let the game play out from there and you know hit the showers from there, 24, 10, they're faced with a third and 11 deep in their own territory. And Mason's able to evade the rush. I don't know if you remember this play or not, but he throws it over the middle and Pickens makes a phenomenal um, leaping yeah. catch. And I, I, know know said, Pick, I know you said Pickens was a little bit frustrating in this game. He did have a crucial fumble and then, and turnover. He had a couple of bad routes too, where he was just like falling. There was one. Yeah. There was one. I, re- I remember one in the first half specifically where like, it looked like a bad throw because nobody was around there, but Pickens like fell down on what should have been a back shoulder throw to the sideline. Yeah. And even Tony Romo was like, uh, it, that's not a bad throw. Pickens just fell down. That ball is exactly where it should be. We're talking about the same play. Yeah. So, uh, but he made a great play there and, and Mason did a good job to lead him down. Uh, look, I, I I guess I can I can back you and say that like Tomlin's guys do play for him. They play hard for him. I know that they like playing for him. Um, and in that sense, I'll give him some credit that they just didn't completely go turtle mode in after they were down 21 nothing and it, it was close to the end. But I also like look at it as it's the coach's responsibility to make sure that they come out with a good game plan, which I already said why I didn't think it was a good offensive game plan. And I think it's like he deserves as much blame for them falling into as much of a hole that they did early in the game as he deserves credit for them coming back. I don't know, man. I think it's as simple as you were just overmatched in the game itself. Like you, you and I both said it, like we agreed on it. They had a 0% chance of winning the Super Bowl. Neither of us picked them to win this game. And had they won, it would have been the biggest shock of the weekend, probably, right? Well, definitely. I mean, it was it was the biggest spread. Um, I think where and and this is probably a decent segue to to talk about kind of Steelers going forward. I think the biggest um like discrepancy or perception of Tomlin when it comes to myself and some of the Pittsburgh local media compared to you and somebody maybe who just looks at the team from a more national perspective is that like Tomlin is responsible for constructing the team. You know, I, we do have a general manager there, but he takes on a large general manager role as well. Um, yeah. And I see where you're going with this. And like, he's been there 17 years. Right. And so, yes, the, the team roster wise, no doubt. I agree with you. Nowhere near at Buffalo on paper, but not, not all of the blame, but some of that blame should be shouldered on, on Mike Tomlin for not constructing 
a roster that can compete with the top dogs of the AFC. Right. He he has a large say along with the general manager in and what this team looks like on paper, you know, year in and year out. Like Kenny Pickett was his pick and there were other guys that, you know, he brought in, he's vouched for. So, uh, that's that's my point on Tomlin that I'm not sure if everybody who's not as tuned into Pittsburgh knows or is aware of or factors that in when um, they talk about decision making. I think some of that autonomy should be taken away from Tomlin because I think he struggled to evaluate the quarterback position this year and has done a poor job in hiring personnel, offensive coordinator in particular. If you look at Matt Canada, how that kind of transpired this year. So, look, all of our all of our listeners know my opinions on Tomlin now. I, it'd be a disservice for them to just go rehash my opinion on Mike T. But we know he's coming back because he said that. He said that now. Um, he's squashed that rumors and after storming out after that press conference, which I'm sure people have seen now. So my my thing would be, all right, if you're going to be back, the things that you've struggled with, like hiring OCs and evaluating the quarterback position, that needs to be taken out of your hands now because over the past four or five years, you've proven that you, you can't really do it to a high level. Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with you there. Um, you made a point that his guys love playing for him. Cam Hayward after the game was quoted saying this group would not function to even get to a playoff without Mike T he keeps us accountable from top to bottom. And I won't want to play for any other coach. There were a bunch of other guys saying certain things to that uh, effect, but I think TJ Watt said something similar as well. And yeah. so many words, but the biggest quote that really got my attention was actually what Najee Harris said. And I know that you're tuned into all this stuff. So you yep. probably said, I know, the same I know thing. exactly the quote you're talking about, but, but go what, ahead and inform our listeners. So he was asked about the game and the first thing he actually spoke about was the commitment level and mindset in the room itself not necessarily he even multiple times during this quote said like i've got nothing against our coaching staff like he cited his close personal relationship with tomlin he said to a certain extent like i think he does a good job you could read between the lines and maybe think he's saying some other things as well but what he was saying is like keep in mind as well this is a guy who comes from alabama right who played under nick saban who the model is consistency, is commitment, is dedication, it's week to week, like being better than the week before, working towards this overarching goal. And Harris sort of more than anything called out his teammates and said, like, I don't think we have the right commitment as a team. We have to work harder to to be better together in, in more words than another. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I, I think he also blatantly he said that there there weren't enough uh, weren't enough rules. Um, yes. And I, I, yes. I, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what he said. Yes. He said there weren't enough rules and that um, like they're not held accountable enough. And, and I think what he's getting at there is you talked about his his regime in Alabama. I think from what I've gathered, again, not in the locker room with either of these guys, but it's much more rigid at Alabama. Uh, you know, Saban, Saban keeps, I guess, like a like there's, you know, more firm consequences for, I don't know, missing missing a, a lift or or something like that. And part of that just it's very it's very much so run like an NFL team. It's part of that, that comes with the the fact that, like, you can kind of do that with college players. And it's a little bit different with grown men in the NFL. Um, but I think that his the dynamic that Tomlin put out there is like fostering in the locker room is far different, maybe for lack of a better term, a little bit more laid back than what Saban was running in at Alabama. And 
like I think Najee is just kind of alluding to maybe some of his teammates are taking advantage of that. Uh, I don't know. I think that you could read between the lines uh, a lot on that. And, uh, and we'll see. I thought that that was certainly an interesting comment from him. Uh, I, we've seen plenty of times where his own teammates, other guys on the team have seemed to lack effort at times. And, and I think that falls back on coaching as well, but We'll see for the Steelers. I, I hope that I hope there's some wholesale changes in some regard, at, at the very least, at the offensive coordinator position. I hope we bring in a new, young, and innovative mind for next year. Um, and because uh, I don't know what we're going to do at quarterback, I think that they're just going to run it back with Kenny Pickett. Well, Najee, you would say to a certain extent, has even like become a bit of a leader on this team. Yeah, uh, he's asked to be I think at times earlier this year he um was a little bit lacking in leadership like he refused to talk to the media after some, some of his bad games but uh, I do like that he spoke up or said something here towards the end um I know he he was a captain it was either his first year or the year after his first year and he's not a captain anymore but um he's expected to be a leader you know he's expected to uh you know he, he's talked with Jerome Bettis he's expected to be that type of guy that you know that vote um vocal kind of leader, at least among the offensive guys. Um, I think at times he has been at, at other times, um, maybe not, but, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I think when it's, it's difficult sometimes on offense to really step up as leader when thing, when you're struggling as much as they have this year, you know what I'm saying? Like a lot of yeah. times that that falls on the quarterback and the fact it's that it's hard there to be that guy as a running back when you're not, yeah, it's like, hard to be that guy as a running back too. But like, there were also games where the Steelers offense was just scoring 10 and 13 points. Like you lead by example and you got to have good games. I think for, for these guys to really respect you and get behind you. And there was like no Steeler offensive player this year can say that they were consistent throughout the whole year, you know? And so it's some, in that respect, I think it's tough to be a leader sometimes. Um, when, when the performance doesn't always back it up. And for the guys on offense for the Steelers, I think that that was the case for pretty much everybody. So I will say this. Um, I think, I think unless Tomlin wins a playoff game next year, I think it's his last in Pittsburgh. And I don't, I, I don't think they're going to extend him. I don't think, I don't think they will. I think, I, I think that I think they have to. I'll tell you why. I think unless he wins a playoff game there, they won't because it's the end of his contract and I could see him. There's even been some talk like supposedly leaks from his camp saying he wants to do a Sean Payton and take a year or two off and then come back later. Yeah, but he's debunked that. He he said to the team he's he he intends to coach next year. Next the, year, yeah, but maybe after that, who knows? All he said was next year. You are right in the sense that, so this is the first year, like they've never let him go. They've always done the extension in the past whenever they've extended them. They've done it before, like before he has just two years left. So in theory, it would have been last offseason yeah. that he would have gotten the extension. Um, the reason that I think that they're going to give him at least a small extension before the start of next year is it doesn't make a lot of sense like think of it if you're an offensive coordinator, because they need to hire a new offensive coordinator, obviously, because they fired Matt Canada this year. It doesn't make a lot of sense if you're trying to bring in a new OC who's going to be like, okay, um, well, is my job going to be secure? After, like 
after this year, if the head coach is only on a one-year deal, like that's, that's tough. You might not get the full offensive coordinator candidate pool. If you still just have one year left on your contract for your head coach. That's why I think at least a small extension will be coming might only be one or two years, but I think in that regard, he'll, he'll get something given the news. I don't know. I like, what do you have? What basis do you have to extend him on? Besides, unless, <laughs> but, but hey, I'm not, I'm not going to argue. I don't think he should be. I'm, I'm just saying, given, given what I've heard, and given the people I listen to who report and cover the team, yeah, I think that that's what's going to happen. I, you know, the, the lack of playoff success is enough for me. I, I think that we should move on from him. But, you know, I, I, I think he's said that he wants to come back. He's made it clear, and, and they're, I think that the owner's going to bring him back, and, and. They're going to give him a little bit of an extension. They're going to say make the playoffs again. And it's going to be the same old status quo in Pittsburgh. Well, I would say, like, regardless of who the coach is, I don't think Mason is the guy. I I mean, yes, fourth best offense in points down the stretch, or last three games of the, of the regular season, fifth best in yardage, last three games of the regular season. But the games were against the Seahawks, the depleted Bengals defense, and then the Ravens backups. I I don't think – I feel like if he's the starting quarterback week one next year, by midseason, you will be looking for another option again. I, I don't think he should be the long-term answer. Even with that, I will also acknowledge he played better than I expected him to, and I think he was serviceable down the stretch. I think he would be a great backup or, like, low tier starter for somebody, but I don't think you can have him as the guy next year and also expect to curb this playoff drought that you want to fix so badly. I think part of that overcoming that has to go with finding somebody more reputable that you can, you can lean on and, and trust, you know? Oh, the, the quarterback position is huge in this. Um, I, I have a little bit of a higher opinion of Mason than you. Um, I don't I, think he's bad. Like I, I think for certain teams, he might work that like are in a situation where they can do a project, but I don't think Pittsburgh is right now. Like you just did that with Pickett and it didn't work. You have to, you have to have somebody that you can rely on to run this offense going forward, find a veteran quarterback, bring in a guy that can, I don't know, man. I just like, I'm searching for answers and I believe me, I am too. And so is, so is Pittsburgh nation. I, 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 your point that you said about Mason, like he might be able to like get him back to the playoffs, but can, can he win a game or or make a deep run? And even then you won, you got to the playoffs in the perfect circumstances this year, playing your last week of the season against the Ravens backups. Right. You're, you're right. I mean, like we might not have even, it might've looked even a little bit less cosmetic if, if he did face, you know, a, a starting team. I, I think that he should be commended for what he did this, this year. I am fine to bring him back. Um, I would like him to be the starter over Pickett. Um, I, I'd like to see a little bit more of a sample size from him, but I agree with you. I don't think that even people that are advocating for him to come back, um, which I would like to see him back just, just to kind of see a full year of it. But I don't think even those people are saying like, he's the franchise guy. I think that he at best would be viewed as a stopgap quarterback, but I really think this whole discussion that we're having right now is a little bit moot. His contract is up. He's going to get paid at least backup money, like maybe six, $8 million a year, something like that. And I don't think he's going to want to come back with Pittsburgh, you know, like 
he this is a guy who was benched for Trubisky and it kind of just took like the most horrendous quarterback play for Mitch Trubisky for him to even you know get his chance again here I think he knows that the Steelers organization wants Kenny Pickett to succeed more just because a first round pick was spent on Pickett and a third rounder was spent on Rudolph so I think like if money's all equal and everything like that he's going to find a, a contract as a backup quarterback somewhere else. So I don't even think he'll be back to, to be honest with you. I think the Steelers are going to roll it back with Kenny Pickett next year. They're going to give him one more chance. They're going to say, all right, new offensive coordinator, see what he can do. I think it'll be the same old story. And then they'll be left holding the bag and looking for somebody else the following year. Nah, I think you guys are going to either go get Russell Wilson or uh, maybe draft somebody this year. Well, if somebody falls to them, I could get behind drafting somebody. Um, when we get into NFL offseason talk, we could talk more about the Russ Wilson thing. I think that that would be um, an awful decision in, in multiple <laughs> ways. All right, guys, once again, thanks for tuning in to the episode today. A reminder that we'll have another episode coming out tomorrow, just previewing the divisional round playoff games for this weekend. Very excited for that. Paul will be... Paul and I will be going in-depth on those games, giving some picks for them as well. Um, Excited to see how those turned out, so definitely stay tuned. we got plenty more content coming in the weeks to follow as well with the Super Bowl right around the corner. Thanks for tuning into the 5th and Long Podcast. We'll see you next time.